Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast podcast. I'm Patrick Miller alongside Wayne Pua uh, coming to you again after uh, after week three. Uh, you know, we saw week four this weekend. Um, we also saw some history tonight um, and we're filming on a Tuesday, uh, October 4th now. But uh, Aaron Judge actually just hit number 62 for the Yankees uh, on the road in Texas. Uh, he sets the American League record for home runs in a single season. Uh, passing Roger Maris at 61, Babe Ruth at 60. Uh, he still trails uh, the infamous Barry Bonds by 11 home runs. Um, but I did catch that uh, at least some of the alerts that I had uh, mentioned that Bonds' record came during the steroid era. So I thought that was kind of a nice little, you know, uh, emphasis to place on the end of the alert. But uh, Wayne, I know we've been talking about this for a little bit of time, but what's your reaction to this overall? Um, what do you make of Aaron Judge, his season? just everything overall that we've covered in the past few weeks. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in terms of like a one, he's probably the most likable person that's hit 60 some on homers. Uh, I, I think is one of the biggest deals. Um, you know, you look at uh, the Barry Bonds who always had some sort of stigma with the, the media, whether, you know, it's fair or not, you know, that's always debatable. Similar things, you know, with the whole uh, cork and steroids with, uh, um, Sammy Sosa, and then the story is with Mark McGuire. So there, there definitely is a lot of, uh, you know, stigma, I guess, with, with those people. Um, just had both all having a truculent relationship with the media. Um, even Roger Maris, like you know, he 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 always 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 kind of is like the other guy uh, compared to like Mickey Mantle. <laughs> if you ever watched that uh, that movie Sixty One, um, and, and you know, read about and heard about like what the stories that they were saying. Um, you know, Roger Maris was, was definitely much more of the keep to himself type of person, whereas Mickey Mantle was kind of just the likable person, almost all kind of like Derek Jeter and uh, Alex Rodriguez in a way. Uh, except Alex Rodriguez just has a loud mouth and is obnoxious. Maris was just kind of like kept to himself and didn't give you know the reporters what they wanted. So, uh, you know, Aaron Judge, a uh, likable guy, seems like a good guy, uh, and you know. Uh, it appears I mean, he's always been big, right? So appears everything. Uh, he's just always been big. So I, I, I'm assuming that everything's, you know, legitimate. The record is is all good and all. So like for a modern day baseball era, uh, in terms of a player, like that's as good of a season and as good as, you know, an untarnished type of season as, as a hitter could possibly have, I think. So those are my initial thoughts. Yeah. Um, no, you're, you're spot on. I mean, I feel like he might be challenging for the triple crown too, if I'm not wrong. Uh, I'd have to check his average and other stats, but I feel like his home runs and RBIs were definitely leading the way last time I checked. Um, yeah, what an incredible year. Um, you know, going back a little bit to the steroid era stuff, I mean, MLB is really going to have to bring in perspective um, this idea of doing asterisks in some way or to kind of bracket these guys off if – you know, these are records that still want to be celebrated. I mean, you've got to, you've got to make that clean. I mean, you've got to make that, um, that wrong, like righted in a way. I just feel, you know, that we go into watching him, you know, do this whole chase and for tonight and it's like, well, he's still behind, you know, bonds by 11 home runs. I mean, that 73 clean doesn't seem like it'll ever be close to being broken. I mean, think about the year the judges had and it's like, you know, he's still chasing pretty far back for, for where Bonds is. And uh, 
I don't know. I just think at some point that, you know, once we get past all the hall talks, if they don't make it into the hall of fame, you know, bonds, McGuire, Sosa, you got to rethink those records because if you're not going to preserve them in the hall and, and celebrate them as, you know, all time greats, like historical greats, then like, why, why do, why do they have these records? Like, why are they still a part of those books? Like, you know, it's just, it's kind of weird to me. So it makes this whole thing like anticlimactic in that like some sort of way. It's like, okay, we're all happy for a judge, but in the same sense, it's like we could be so much happier if all the other stuff didn't happen. But uh, it's hard to like unlearn history in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I think that's a conversation to have, uh, you know, especially with any anybody that is, I guess, I don't know, the steroids defender or you know, people that do believe that Bonds and McGuire and Sosa all, all, all de- you know, deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, if, if if that is the case, then, uh, yeah, let's just op- open the, the gates for everything else, I think, uh, with regards to steroids, with regards to, you know, the, the Houston Astros, like, are they equivalent? I, I, I think that's just the whole debate that everything's, everybody's trying to figure out. Um, and I understand this whole idea that, you know, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, they, they all had uh, Hall of Fame careers uh, even before, you know, that they were allegedly took steroids. Um you know, I, I think that's actually a fair argument. I, I, I sincerely do. Um, but then I, I, I definitely think that, you know, there do we uh, have some sort of punishment or, uh, you know, do we have just a bunch of asterisks on all the records? Or do, should, I, I think the idea is just remove it. Like why I feel like having asterisks are <laughs> kind of like uh, that. That's kind of like a half-assed way of doing things, you know. Uh, it's like, you know, when they, this whole thing's with like Reggie Bush and, you know, allegations of like getting money and, and things like that when he was with USC, like they completely stripped all the all the records from there. I feel like if they're going to do that with baseball and MLB and having those records there for Barry Bonds, it's like you might as well just go all in and be like, nope, you you know these records don't exist. Uh, you, you only hit X amount of homers, not 700, whatever. So I think that's maybe just how I feel about the whole situation there. Yeah, it's like why why just stop at Pete Rose? Like why why is Pete Rose the one who gets you know? completely you know removed from the game and then after that there was all these other you know transgressions that have happened in sports in in other ways like you're saying with bush i mean they stripped him of that heisman i think people that loved reggie bush in college like although he doesn't have that heisman still consider him like a former heisman winner so it's like you could still take those records off paper because you have a legitimate reason to but anybody who wants to argue about it at the bar or on their own podcast can do that it's just kind of like Mm -hmm. like let's preserve the things that were actually in play here and i and i agree like bonds and clemens were totally hall of famers before you know they decided to do all this other stuff uh, getting into drugs and all this other stuff to like you know prolong their careers at an elite level but it's like no matter what even if it was your last day in the park and you just decided to do steroids in your last game of your last year i'm sorry man you still like you still cheated you still did a wrong like you can't have like a 3.9 GPA and cheat on your final exam of college. And then just expect if you get caught that like, you're not going to be punished. Like, I, I don't know, some things get slaps on the wrist, but you know, I guess it depends on context, but when we're talking about like the most important records, perhaps in sports too. I mean, it's like you talk about baseball, like this whole thought about like the home run record. I try to think about like name other records in sports that are so revered and it's like it's the hardest it's the hardest thing to wrap your hands around like when i think about the all-time hits home runs i try to think about other sports like the career points in basketball i don't think is like 
as close. I, you know, career touchdowns. I like the drive behind the Brady Breeze competition. I thought that was cool, but it's not. It's not breaking the home run record, whether it's a single season or all time record. So, you know, let's let's get back to kind of like trying to preserve, you know, some of the things that uh, yeah, have been established by the actual greats. Yeah, and I guess one more thing to add there. It's like, yeah, you know, we we, we tarnish, uh, you know, the Reggie Bushes of the world for those things, but it's like, you know, that a lot of those things happen off the field, you know. So these records, I guess, from that sense, uh, had less to do with, you know. Uh, some sort of performance cheating or, or anything like that. It was just much more about, oh, there may have been money involved in that, I guess, you know, but at, at the same time, it's like he performed, he, he, he did what he was supposed to do and, you know, no steroids or whatever were, were involved in that, in that sense. So, yeah, I, I, I just think, you know, for the sake of, I guess, sports fans, just be nice if there was a little bit of, I guess, consistency in how we judge, you know, uh, Hall of Fame type of players or, or, you know, Heisman winners in that sense, just a little bit of consistency of like, hey, it's either you're you're all legitimate or hey, if you have an ounce of illegitimacy in terms of your performance or whatever, then it's like, okay, then let's just strip the record completely rather than I don't know, kind of half ass it, I feel like. No, I'm with you. I think that's I think that's definitely a fair point. Um nothing else to really to really say about it. Just yeah, I hope that we can just see a little bit more clearly going forward when it comes to you know, folks that are actually cheating and the things that they're establishing record wise or championship wise, whatever it is, personal titles. I mean, it's just got to go, man. It's just like, even retrospectively, we just got to, we just got to like kind of make, make good on, on a lot of these things that have been, you know, tarnished as we were saying, but uh, I guess sticking with baseball, um, you know, looking at the South side, we're wrapping up our year. I think we'll have a special episode for the playoffs coming up, but um, the White Sox, we had Tony LaRusso yesterday announce his retirement, um, you know, due to health concerns. He stepped away from the Sox. He mentioned, you know, some of his regrets over the years of not getting them, you know, completely over the hump. But uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, he appreciated his moments being with the White Sox and getting them to the, you know, ALDS uh, last year. Um, you know, this year we're fighting for 500. It seems like we might be able to get there, which is, you know, I, I think something still to be appreciated or like, you know, given all the stuff that's happened this year, um, you know, sh- should be kind of respected in some sort of way. But, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of uh, rumors and speculation about what could happen next, whether it's the manager um, to come in 2023. It's, you know, what are we going to do with this team, this nucleus? Um, we've we've talked about this quite a bit this year, but, you know, Wayne, do you have any thoughts on La Russa and then, you know, what's coming up for 2023? Yeah, I mean, with the Russo, like, hey, you know, it, it always felt like, you know, he, we always saw those memes of him just sleeping, and all. it's like, hey, man, just just go, it's okay, like we're okay. Uh, you know, let Miguel Cairo take over. You know, he he did an okay job. I know there was a eight game losing streak that didn't help. You know, his manager uh, 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 prospects, I guess, for the White Sox here, but. Uh, yeah, you know, hey, he, he's a Hall of Fame manager, you know, whether it was with the White Sox mainly or not. Um, so in, wish him good health and everything. But it, it, this this was definitely foreseen for sure. Um, with regards to the search and everything, I, I think we heard that uh, uh, Han basically said that he would like somebody outside of the White Sox organization. So that's the case then hey great you know let's let's look look and see and pop up all the speculation on who who will be the next white Sox manager um going forth but uh i think whoever it is whoever it's going to be though is going to come to a, i think a good situation overall you know i 
we've always been saying that the White Sox are probably like one of the most talented teams in baseball, but you know, for whatever reason, the coaching, the inspiration, uh, the hitting coach, uh, that they just could never put things all together. And they always underperformed uh, at least this season. Um, it's funny. Yeah. They underperformed, but then they're a 500 record type of team. So just goes to show like, you know, how much, I guess a good manager, you know, halfway decent manager um, can help out there. So, but yeah, looking forward to seeing what candidates uh, uh, pop up. Yeah. I, uh, I heard the same thing from Han, which uh, threw off my idea of who would be the next coach, because I think what you and I were talking about was Girardi, uh, possibly Joe Madden, you know, um, maybe a White Sox, you know, former player, something like that. But talking about going outside the organization, something that like really, you know, piqued my interest. So I was kind of like doing a little bit of digging, um, you know, especially on the context of like he wants somebody who's been in the dugout over the last 10 years who understands like the context of analytics and has been like part of a winning organization. But um, if it's not anybody we've already discussed, I mean, it seems like you, know, you look at some of the best teams of the last 10 years and start looking at, you know, their bench coaches and, and other things. And it's like, you know, Bob Jaron is the bench coach for the Dodgers. He was once the A's head coach. He, you know, he's been to, you know, at least some ALDS trips with the A's um, back in his day. Um, Ron Washington has been kind of kicked around. I mean, he's, he's getting a little bit older, but he has, you know, World Series experience with the Rangers and he's been, you know, part of the Braves organization for a while as their third base coach, I want to say. Um, and I know Joe Espada from the Astros has been their bench coach. He's been doing, you know, interviews, I think, uh, over the last couple of years for head coaching spots and hasn't, you know, quite quite landed anything uh, so far for him yet. And then uh, I know Hensley Mullins from the Yankees is their bench coach, but another guy I've heard, you know, kind of in the mix for jobs over the last couple of years and hasn't, you know, quite landed. But uh no, I, I, th- I think um, this could be really interesting, and I really hope Reinsdorf's on board with whatever Han puts, you know, forward as far as, like, here's our list, and I'm sure Kenny will play a part in, you know, um, kind of discussing with Jerry, but also discussing with Rick. I feel like he's kind of like the bridge guy um, between, you know, preserving the White Sox culture, but in the same sense, like, moving into the future a little bit. So we'll see. Um you know, I think the only other point I thought of uh, as far as, you know, LaRusse's tenure, Renteria, and what, you know, Liam Hendricks actually had to say um, was just that the team was lacking, you know, an authoritarian figure. And I think he said it in multiple ways. He said, number one, you know, our manager, like, really needs to take the reins, which is why when you mentioned Joe Girardi, I think that's actually, like probably as close as you're going to get to like somebody who's got world series experience, got the analytics stuff down is definitely like a hard ass. Like <laughs> I feel like Girardi would come in and like, you know, definitely run a tight ship if that's what they're missing. Um, but I, I guess this kind of segues into the 2023 portions is what Liam was saying is like, we need authoritarian authoritarian figures in like how we lead and how guys like keep each other accountable. We need guys who are like, going to step in and like push each other and stuff. And I think that's something that was definitely missing. Like he was mentioning, you know, it's nice to have it out of the bullpen. It's nice to have it every fifth day with a certain starter, but like we need position players that are like complete alphas that are like ready to, you know, impose their will on folks. So it's kind of like, that's what I'm thinking going into this, you know, next year and beyond. It's like, how can we kind of, you know, retool our core and our supporting cast to bring in some guys with some real experience, with some leadership qualities to them. Like we are searching for a legitimate outfielder. I feel like at least in right field, 
Um, you know, whether we bring in uh, a, like an everyday type second baseman, an everyday type third baseman, you know, barring all these injuries we've had, um, that's another part of it. Um, so we'll see how they retool, but I'm totally cool with them looking at that core really hard, like we've discussed, and making mm-hmm. like a really hard trade. Like if it's like, you know, this team wants Eloy or they want Mankata or, hey, possibly it's like Tim Anderson or we have to, you know, maybe end our time with Jose Abreu. I mean, like this, these are the things that we're actually looking at now if we want to actually compete for championships moving forward and not just be like the place where we establish like, you know, those those like household names. Because I feel like the White Sox mm-hmm. are very much like give their guys a long leash and like make them part of the culture for a long period of time. And it's like, sometimes you got to be a little bit more cutthroat about it if you want to win games. Yeah, I know for sure. I, uh, I like her take. Yeah, and Hey, I'll come ahead of my time, I guess, with George Rivardi. I, I feel like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that, I mean, that's just how I felt. Like, I, it, they definitely need somebody that to, it just seems like they're almost too lax. Uh, I think was where I was going with that. Um, another candidate uh, kind of, I guess, quasi dark horse but wondering wondering if we can pull him away from the from the nationals is dave martinez possibly um that 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 could be a nice pick i think uh if we're able to nab him i think he's got one more year on his contract but if you know we're able to score a deal like that um that could be something you know he is a he won a world series and the nats are kind of going like rebuilding mode in a way so it's like if that's the case, maybe he wants to like actually win and, and be part of a, a, a winning team. And Hey, you know, he, he, he can definitely do that probably with the white Sox and, and kind of bring that moxie over. So um, that would be my like dark horse, but I, I, I do, I, I think you mentioned all the names I was thinking of that were kind of outside um, that also outside the organization that also kind of like uh, has like some sort of bench coach type of experience that are just hot names going forth. So but yeah, uh, Dave Martinez possibly or Joe Girardi, I think would be my top picks. Dave Martinez would be awesome. I mean, I don't know if he's available. If I was, uh, you know, uh, Rizzo out in uh, out in Washington, I mean, out here, I should say, um, I wouldn't let that guy go. I mean, I I think he brings a lot of different things you want. I mean, he comes from Tampa, the Tampa Bay organization under Madden. You know, loved him during those days. Like Madden spoke the world of him. Then, you know, he's kind of understood what it takes to kind of develop a team with the Nats. And then, you know, once you bring on some more payroll and, you know, see these guys kind of get to their peak levels, like be a part of a championship run. Um, He's Latino, which I think is a huge perk. If you're going to come to the White Sox and you can speak Spanish. I mean, imagine the kind of rapport you could build with guys that are, you know, your cornerstones. You got Robert, you got Jimenez, whether these guys stick is one other thing, but like Abreu, you just kind of go down the line. I mean, Mankata, um, a lot of those guys, I mean, it just seemed like the core of the team was was mostly Spanish speaking. So outside of our, uh, you know, mostly our pitching staff. But uh, yeah, I don't, you know, there are really no uh, drawbacks to Martinez. And then, you know, especially because he's been part of the White Sox organization. He used to be an outfielder for us growing up. I used to watch him. So he, he knows Chicago well, too. He was with the Cubs for a while as an outfielder. So, I mean, he'd be a perfect fit. If that happened, I'd be actually ecstatic. But uh We'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens with this contract. But um, those are some good names. Um, did you have any thoughts on the player side of things? I mean, I, I think it's pretty standard. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those, like, I don't know if we really want to keep Andrew Vaughn out in the outfield and all that chasing chasing fly balls. And that strongly is where, well, you know, it, it sounds like a Bray still, he maybe still want to be playing. So 
you know, it'd be sad to see him in a different uniform. But I, I think in terms of keeping that core piece and, you know, getting the best out of him, like I, I think Andrew Vaughn probably deserves and has earned the right to, you know, especially the season, he's probably arguably our best hitter, you know, I guess throughout the season. Um, and yeah, I think he deserves it probably if he wants to, to, to go to first base, uh, more so. Um, so that's, that's definitely what I think. And then obviously adding some left-handed hitting, we just, I think, you know, we, we, I, I guess we felt really comfortable just having a bunch of righties out there and throwing in like, you know, Gavin sheets, I guess, um, as like your only lefty and some switch hitting, uh, hitters in there as well. But, um, I think, yeah, having some sort of left-handed outfielder can definitely help. And, um, you know, if, if, we got to say goodbye to Yasmani. We got to say goodbye to Yasmani. But, uh, you know, maybe some an upgrade there. And, yeah, uh, a second baseman uh, of some sort. Uh, I don't know if Josh Harrison plans on wanting to stay here or anything like that. But I feel like, uh, you know, if we're able to upgrade, you know, I, I think we, we definitely have to jump on the opportunity for that. So, um, but, yeah, if, if we can get a left-handed hitter, outfielder of some sort, that would be great. Um, or, you know, uh see what we can do i think from internally in that sense too so yeah yeah i mean i'd love to see you know if we get to the off season let's say it's a brew you know maybe we swing a trade with like the milwaukee brewers and we can bring over like colton wong to be our second baseman something like that or maybe it's a package deal where we go to the padres who are you know prone to make big trades and we can you know maybe pry like a trent grisham with you know, maybe one of their starting pitchers and then we, you know, give them a break or maybe it's, you know, Grandal's in the package or something. And, you know, another team I kind of thought about was like Seattle, like maybe, maybe we flip, you know, whether it's a Bray or Grandal or something like that, we can bring over like a Jesse Winker type who, you know, it's like slightly disappointing for them, but it's like a fixture in the outfield probably for most teams and left-handed bat, good on base guy. I'm just trying to think of ways like how can we get more athletic? How can we, you know, maybe bring some new voices in you know, guys that have had, you know, some sort of experience across the league and, you know, playoff settings or, you know, something of the sort. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know what the perfect thing is, but I think athleticism is definitely one. I'd love to see Vaughn just like parked up at first base. I'd love to see Eloy out of the outfield, you know, just playing nothing but DH for the rest of his career. I just, I don't want to see that guy injured. I mean, I, you know, feeling like looking at, um, you know, the amount of games that some of our core pieces missed this year, I actually did a quick look around last week at, you know, some of our core players and I wrote it down. Um, still, still kind of thumbing through it, but, uh, of our five, like best players, we talk about like Jimenez, uh, Mankata, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, and, uh, one other guy. I mean, they didn't play a hundred games this year. So if you have, you know, and, and Grandal is the other guy. So as of last week, Robert had 98 games, Jimenez had 77 games, Moncada 97, Grandal 94, and Tim Anderson 79. That's just not going to cut it. Like, it's just not going to cut it. So these guys, you know, we talked about health. We talked about, you know, wellness and everything like that, whether it's, you know, the staff on hand or it's just these guys keeping themselves accountable. Like, they've got to be on the field for us to win. Yeah, I know for sure. And, yeah, I mean, I, I they got to be on the field to win and they got to – uh, actually then show up, you know, I don't know how, how much that their injuries interfered with their performance. Uh, you know, it definitely took like, uh, Yomankata, like a lot to get going there. Uh, but you know, when, when he did, it was great, but you know, he definitely his best parts of the season, he had more bad parts. I feel like than good parts in the season. 
So um, the only other, I was just looking at also the farm system too. And I, I just also realized, I forgot that we also have two lefties out there. So, you know, it, we do have the seventh uh, largest payroll, I believe, in baseball. So if Ryan's door feels cheap, uh, hey, look, uh, maybe just uh, promote internally with some uh, athletic outfielder or, you know, with um, uh, Oscar Colas or possibly Colson, Colson Montgomery, um, you know. I don't know what the future holds for Colson Montgomery, but he did really well in Double A. Um, you know whether we want to stick him uh, either in the infield or maybe the outfield, uh, depending on I guess you know uh, the positions that we want to be choosing and how, how we want to be uh, putting in the, the certain players uh, in the infield or outfield. So, but um, yeah, we'd love to see you know some sort of changing, you know, left, more left-handed uh, hitting in the the lineup there. Um, and then, yeah, we'd also just love to see a healthy uh, Michael Kopech, too, because uh, <laughs> when he's good, he's good. I, I think he just had some surgery. Uh, so it's like, hey, man, if, if he can just be there for a full season, God, I mean, he's got all the potential in the world to be, you know, one of the best starting pitchers out there. But he just never seems to be healthy, uh, you know, and, and that's really a big thing, uh, as, as we were pointing out before. So. Um, but hey, worst case, he's uh, an ace in the bullpen. Yeah, I, I think it's been always our whole thing. So yeah, yeah. I think for Kopech, you know, he just needs time to ramp up in the pros. I think they did a good job this year making him like kind of a bridge guy. You know, he was injured, but definitely had a really good first half. Um, for some of the other guys, um, you know, just on the the injury front, the one thing that I think, as far as performance goes, like it definitely was impacting their performance just for the sake that like these guys were on the IL and off the IL often. It wasn't like a, you know, you tore your ACL, you come back and like you missed 30 games and you played the rest of the the season out. It's like this guy, you know, hammy and then two weeks and then comes back five games back on the IL with something else. And it was like, they never really established any sort of rhythm. And especially as a collective unit, it was like, like we were saying, we're always piecing together a lineup every night and, the lineup kept getting shuffled and stuff. So it's just like, who is, what is this team? What's our identity? How are we establishing ourselves? And you like kind of look over at Cleveland and like, they've got, you know, they had like Quan, they had Rosario, they had Ramirez and that was like set. And it was like pretty much set for like a long period of time. And just like, that's how you got to establish like that continuity in the lineup. It's like, you just know who you're banking on every game. And then people can start establishing roles, but like, when we're doing the Lurie Garcia stuff at, at the three hole and we were doing like Gavin, you know, uh, Gavin sheets out in right fields experimentation, like just stuff can't fly next year. So like, we just need to establish roles early and, uh, you know, put these guys in their best positions to succeed. Stop, you know, stretching guys like Vaughn, you know, having them play three or four positions. Like we just can't be doing that stuff. Like <laughs> you got to say goodbye to some of our legends or, you know, make some room for guys that are going to be cornerstones for the future. Yeah, I know for sure. hundred percent. And I think the key thing is uh, just be healthy as be as healthy <laughs> as you can. Uh, every single player I feel like was on yeah, the IL of some sort of deal basically, you know, throughout the season. And um, yeah, you, you can't just have that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do some load management or whatever you need uh, for them to just play the max amount of games. But yeah, like you were saying, the continuity just wasn't there this season. No doubt. Well, uh, we'll do some more coverage of this kind of moving into the the fall and the winter once we wrap up with the, you know, the World Series and everything like that. But looking forward to a you know strong offseason from our team, Rick Hahn, uh, 
you know, seeing where our next manager is going to be. So we'll definitely cover that. But, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll put that to bed for right now and uh, hopefully our socks uh, can bounce back. But um, I guess moving forward, uh, we're going to look at week four for the NFL. Um, the first game we had was on Thursday night. It was between the Dolphins and Bengals. Uh, Bengals won 27-15. Uh, Wayne, pass or grass? I'll pass. Man, that hit on Tua was sneaky, and I didn't really understand what was going on at first because I was watching, and, uh, you know, someone got spiraled, and I was like, all right, well, like, he got kind of whip-tackled or whatever. And, you know, it wasn't until I got to see the replay when, you know, his head actually, like, just kind of banged off the turf and then his arms went up uh, kind of rigor mortis style. And, you know, man, after week three and kind of see him wobble around, and I think we were joking about it with like his back injury or whatever, like the fact he came out for week four, I mean, even for him coming back in the half of game, you know, week three was questionable and, uh, you know, running him out there for week four, also very questionable. Um, not sure if he would have had any sort of like other sorts of conditions had he not been like, thrown off the turf like that, but, uh, yeah, just seemed kind of reckless, uh, with his health and, you know, from an organizational standpoint, um, the second he went out of the game, which was pretty like a pretty sobering moment. Um, you know, the Bengals just took care of business like they should. I mean, they, they should be beating teams like the dolphins, I think as it is, um, being super bowl, um, you know, representatives of the conference last year. I mean, they, they can kind of came back, showed out took control of the game. Um, Miami moving forward, Bridgewater. I don't know how long this is going to last. I know it's going to last at least one more week, but uh, they're going to be a very average team, I think, until, you know, they have everything in place. Um, We're still trying to figure out who the Dolphins are with Tua, but, uh, you know, with Bridgewater, we kind of know what the the scenario may be. Um, I just think super disappointing as fans to, like, get excited about a team player like Tua because he just comes with, like, a lot of – you know, he, he's got great character. He comes with, like, a lot of fanfare, a lot of press because he went to Alabama, like, wanting to see if he could actually succeed this year. And, uh, you know, just, just kind of going through this right now after being injured a little bit last year is disappointing. Um, but, yeah, ditto on the Bengals. I think they'll be competitive. I'm glad they're getting back into it a little bit. But great air attack. And, uh, yeah, their defense played pretty well, too. Yeah, no, for sure. The Bengals are they, – they appear to be, you know, back on track. Um, and, and figuring out, you know, gain that rhythm. Uh, I think initially they, they just, uh, I don't know if they, it was the whole Super Bowl, losing this whole Super Bowl side effect, uh, or maybe they were just, uh, just not focused uh, coming out the gate. So, but, you know, really impressive win, uh, you know, uh, beat the Dolphins, uh, who were, you know, undefeated. And the Dolphins, man, they had, they, they were beating, uh, was it the Ravens and then the Bills in back to back weeks? So they had some of the most impressive. Uh, games there and looked like one of the best teams uh, in in all of football. So you know uh, that's is good 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 overall solid win from the Bengals and in, in that in that sense. Um, but yeah, with Tua, like I, I think uh, Twitter was going crazy. I know there was uh, some doctor who's like uh, specializes in concussions, right? He was like kind of tweeting about this whole thing. I was like, yeah, like even, you know before the game, even he was like, yeah, Tua ought not to be out there, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And then this whole thing happens, and it's just not a good look, uh, you know. And it, it appears that the uh, the independent doctor that conducted, I guess, the concussion protocol test, um, you know, got uh, I guess fired from whatever contract he was with uh, from the NFLPA. So, uh, you know, it, it, it well, a it, it also showed like a lot of people don't know how 
the medical system works. It's like, yeah, they, they all thought it was the Dolphins doctors and they were like the ones signing things off and all that. Um, but no, it was actually, uh, it's actually an, an independent doctor that's hired by the NFL or at least probably contracted from the NFL PA uh, from, my, from my understanding. So, and yeah, that, I think that's actually good for the NFL PA to, to be doing something like that. So kind of creates that or uh, uh, takes away that conflict of interest, if you will. Uh, between the medical staff and and the head coaching staff and the player, because the player is always going to want to be playing, uh, no matter what. That's just kind of how the mentality is for you know the, the, this level of performance of, of, for these these kind of players. So, um, and then the coach, he's just going to like, okay, if he can, if the coach, if the doctor says yes, <laughs> we're all good. Um, so, and I I think that's where a lot of people felt like was the issue, but it seemed it sounds like it was just some independent. Uh, doctor uh, just I don't know was drugged up or doing something uh, stupid or, or whatever so yeah because I, I think everybody saw that it, it wasn't a back injury I think somebody was p- pointing it out like uh, two was like trying to like shake off his cobwebs he was like you know uh, shaking his head back and forth he wasn't usually when you have a back injury of some sort you're usually holding your back you're not you're not holding your head or, or doing like this or whatever so I, I think that was like the big distinguishment there um, but, you know, Bridgewater, going back to, I guess, the football field a little bit, Bridgewater, you know, veteran presence, uh, you know, did okay, you know, I, I, with uh, when he was doing work with uh, the, the Minnesota Vikings. And, you know, he, he, he's definitely been known as that person that really doesn't have, like, much of an arm. So it'll be curious to see how he, you know, throws that deep ball to, uh, to Hill or, you know, to Waddle. But I think Hill even said, um, yeah, I'm fast enough to <laughs> Bridgewater can even throw it to me. Hell, you random reporter, you can throw it to me. So uh, put put your money where your mouth is, I guess, Hill. But I think they'll be fine. Um, yeah, it just might be limited, I guess, in terms of their offense. But overall, you know, they've if they can continue kind of doing what they've been doing um, as much as they can, you know, with their uh, with how the players has been performing, then I think they'll be okay. You know, maybe win a game or if they can win a game or two while two is out great. But, um, you know, I, I think the dolphins, especially if they've, you know, been beating the top, these top teams, uh, I think, you know, with uh, a couple of reps for Terry Bridgewater to like get some practice in and, you know, I think they'll be fine, but, um, yeah, um, we'll see about how, how this team progresses going forth though. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I saw today was uh, I was watching ESPN briefly and a uh, commercial came up. There was an NFL commercial promoting health, you know, health and safety uh, with football and concussions and stuff. And the, the second I saw it, I started like laughing to myself. I'm like, of course, that's like the the commercial you guys are producing right now. Like from that NFL PA uh, firing of that independent doctor, it's like I think there was even more pressure coming toward the NFL to like, really dig into this and like figure it out. And like, usually I think they just fire somebody and they can just kind of move on. But in a lot of ways, like they're really having to put some extra attention on the situation because of really how much, uh, you know, buzz it got. And uh, yeah, the whole back thing, you know, doesn't still make any sense because, you know, to a kind of even before, you know, getting, you know, pummeled, uh, you know, he didn't show any signs of like having any sort of, you know, back injuries up to that point. So it's, it's real puzzling, but uh in any sense, um, yeah, Thursday night game got us off kind of to a to a weird start, and uh, and moving into the next game, the Cowboys um, beat up on the Washington Commanders twenty five to ten. Uh, Wayne Passergrass. 
Um, all grasses. I mean, you know, uh, I, I think I call the Cowboys for some strange reason. Again, I always say whenever they have their back against the wall, I feel like is when they perform, even when they have their back a quarterback. <laughs> and so uh, Kellen Moore deserves, you know, the, the Nobel Peace Prize basically for just, ha- you know, being able to uh, keep this offense going. Um, obviously, the the defense for the Cowboys, they're playing out of their mind. Uh, Michael Parsons, I think we both called it. Like, he's probably he, he's probably the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, so, you know, they've just been able to move the ball on, on offense, you know, not do anything too cute, kind of make Cooper Rush kind of be that game manager, if you will, uh, and then just have their defense make some plays, create some turno- turnovers uh, when, whenever they can. Um, so, you know, overall, it's just, uh, this is, this is as solid as a team. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, like, is there a quarterback controversy, <laughs> you know, with Cooper Rush and, uh, and Dak Prescott? Um, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, right now they're playing good football and that defense, uh, I think is really the key thing there. Um, and then just, yeah, being able to make, uh, you know, first downs, keep the ball moving, um, on the offensive side. And that's really just been their, uh, their recipe of, for success. Yeah, I was trying to break this one down because I'm like, do I want to give Cooper Rush a lot of credit here or do I want to rethink my my commander's enthusiasm? And uh, <laughs> My pride is getting the best of me right now. So I'm going to you know, give two thumbs up to Cooper Rush. So like, great job on Cooper for like, you know, I think honestly just coming, coming into his role, stringing together some good football games. You know, he's not turning the ball over. Uh, he's utilizing the weapons at his disposal pretty well. I mean, CD Lamb is a guy you could just kind of continue to feed. Um, you know, they've got two backs in, in the backfield who could probably be starters for half the teams in the NFL. Um, they didn't really show out in this one, but you know, like you're saying with the defense, if they're just gonna shut down teams, like they don't have to do too much. I mean, this might be another situation like the Packers and, and the Bucks. I mean, for the Cowboys, I mean, I you know, I, I, I would <laughs> not even come close to putting Rush in a category of the other two quarterbacks, but like, you know, he does have to do a lot to get his numbers. I imagine. I just think like, just make the smart read, you know, don't make that like, you know, don't try to thread the needle. If you, if you don't have to, you know, just wait for the next play and, you know, feed it to Zeke or, you know, drop it off to Tony Pollard or something like that, just to like get you a few yards, get you into, you know, field goal, you know, field goal position or whatever else. But, uh, for the Commanders, I don't know, man. This is uh, the curious case of Carson Wentz. I, you know, again, let's give it another week. I think they've got um, an easier opponent coming up for Week Five. Um, it's not. I think it's the Jaguars, if I had to guess, uh, who may or not may or may not be an easy opponent. I don't want to. Again, I don't want to get too far ahead with uh, with that team as well. But um, yeah, man, just just a, a terrible game for Wentz yet again. Um, you know, the running game not really getting established. I think they do have some playmakers on this team, but they didn't really, you know, do much given, you know, the the limited yardage that, that Wentz actually accrued. And that defense is just getting, like, you know, ripped apart. Like, I feel like every game now they've been pretty high-scoring games or one-sided affairs. So, you know, Washington really needs to get their, their house in order um, if I'm just going to respect them as, like, an average team in this league. But, you know, so far hasn't been so good. Yeah, uh, I want to see more of Dotson. Uh, he's, you know, I, he's definitely gotten the touchdowns and everything. So I feel like they they need to get him more in, in, in the actual field as opposed to just like the red zone, essentially. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, getting him more him the ball and then, uh, 
you know, it, it, it seems like, and I don't know, I'm guessing is that maybe Terry McLaurin, Terry McLaurin is kind of just getting double coverage or just trying to stop him. That's where you know, I feel like Carson Wentz needs to be, you know, looking at some of the other receivers or the offense needs to be designing more around some of these other receivers like Dotson and, and getting them open field a little bit more. So, um, but yeah, uh, need to establish the rush, get the ball moving on there. And, um, you know, the, the defense has enough talent to, 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 you know, uh, get stops and everything like that. But um, the, I think, I feel like the offense just needs to get some first downs um, to have the defense rest uh, kind of the old school way. So, yeah. Gotcha. In the next one, we had the New York Giants uh, going over the Chicago Bears uh, 20 to 12. Wayne, pass or grass? You know, I feel like I've taken the Bears uh, for, for grass uh, for the <laughs> past few times. So I'll leave this up to you, man. I will pass this. Yeah, I don't think much of either team still. I mean, three and one for the Giants, two and two for the Bears. I think that the, those records are going to go south ASAP. I, I, don't, I don't see much in either side. I feel like this was just kind of like, you know, two, you know, basement, you know, dwelling teams kind of just scrapping together a game. And it kind of showed in the stat lines. I mean, Daniel Jones is not an NFL quarterback. I mean, Saquon Barkley, they better hope that he doesn't get re-injured because they ran into him 30 times for 150-plus yards. Like, my hat's off to him as a as an athlete. I think he's a great player. But, you know, if that's the only option you have and he's already injury-prone, I mean, he, he he's 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 going to get banged up probably at some point this season. Receiving cords, kind of, you know, cores kind of in shambles after losing Shepard. So it's kind of like I don't think they like Kadarius Tony at all. I mean, they should just probably trade him, release him, do something with him because they're just not utilizing him for his talents. Um, you know, if you could say one good thing is maybe their defense so far. If that, that's like the silver lining, I don't know if there's much behind that or if it's just because they played subpar opponents, but. You know, that was the only thing I saw bright spots for the Giants. I mean, for the Bears, looks like Justin Fields starting to pass the ball a little bit more. 22 attempts, you know, almost got to 200 yards. Um, still no scores, no, I guess, interceptions this week. And Khalil Herbert had another good game. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, kind of said my piece last week about what, what I think the Bears' philosophy is going to be from a from an organizational standpoint this year. But, uh, yeah, man, not much to write home about with this one. Yeah, I know for sure. Uh, I mean, I, I think uh, Don Martingale is the, the defensive coordinator for the Giants. He's really been the reason why the Giants uh, have been, you know, so uh, kind of how, how how they've just been winning games. I think them mixture of that and Dable just game planning really, really well. Uh, you know, these uh, I know I think it was remember the first couple quarters. Uh, uh, the, the Bears just couldn't stop like these bootlegs and these rollouts from Daniel Jones, and it's like he wasn't passing the ball; he was just uh, running. And and the the, the Bears uh, broke containment a bunch of times. And I think it was finally until like the second half that they're like, "Hey, maybe we ought not. Maybe we just have like a spy." I think Brisker was kind of like the spy, uh, kind of on the weak side. Uh, whenever there was like a run play going on, and it's like. Yeah, that ought to have happened sooner because <laughs> uh, there were a lot of first downs and even a score, I believe, too, from uh, uh, from Daniel Jones there. So, um, But, yeah, uh, good defense, uh, good defensive game planning in the day ball, uh, just smart utilizing, like, hey, Daniel Jones, how about, you know, if you can't pass the ball, just run the ball. We know you're athletic. So uh, I feel like that's kind of like how uh, the the uh, – the Bears ought to have operated more so with Trubisky. Just make, make Trubisky a, a running quarterback and have him, you know, throw an occasional pass here and there just off play action. Um, so, 
I, I think they game plan really well. They outsmarted, or at least in this in this case, a little bit outcoached. I think you know we've been saying this all along. Like the the Bears simply do not have the talent. Uh, I don't know what people were seeing beforehand. Like you know, it's I, I it's very fortunate that the Bears have two wins. So that's that's great. But I think everybody's just been saying like they, they don't have the talent, and you know. Uh, I, I definitely think that, you know, there's has to be something with Luke Getze of not, you know, something's there with he, he doesn't believe in, in uh, either Justin Fields or, uh, or Cole Komet or any of the players that, you know, uh, the old regime drafted, um, you know, Darnell Mooney had that, they had that one play and that was it. They, they didn't uh, attack the off of play action or anything like that. They didn't attack uh, the secondary as much uh, before or afterwards after that play. So, you know why not take that shot? That is Justin Fields' strength. Um, yeah, and there there were several. You know, there was always this, like, I guess, different takes on Justin Fields. Like he might have missed throws here and there. He definitely missed throws. He also needs to look at more. You know, doing some checkdowns. The Luke gets. He also needs to you know design plays uh, just to get his confidence up. Whether they're you know just a, a simple out pass to a wide receiver um, or a slant. So, like nothing really is hit down the middle. Uh, you know, again, they didn't really utilize Cole Komet at all. I, he caught 60 passes last season. Uh, you know, is he that bad of a, you know, pass catching tight end? I, I know he's a good blocker, but, you know, come on. So, um, and then there definitely needs to be something done with Mustafer. Like, I don't know what it is, but I think PFF graded him as like the worst performing offensive lineman in the entire NFL. So if that's the case, then something just needs to be changed there. Um, you know, I don't know if we want to, Put in uh, was it Lucas Patrick there? But he hasn't been performing well at guards, so I, I wonder if it's just like you know maybe he'll do better at center. I don't know, uh, or maybe we look at Cody Whitehair back in there, and then you know uh, keep uh, um, Tevin Jenkins, who is has been our pep, he's been our best uh, lineman I think so far this season. So and he didn't even start the game, so that was all questionable. So. All around, just some things that you know. I, I think the team is still trying to figure out each other and like where to position everybody. And I, I'm hoping that you know, um, uh, for Justin Fields' development sake, that the coaching staff is able to figure things out sooner rather than later. Uh, kind of talking about you know somewhere what we're talking about with the White Sox of just having that continuity of you know figuring out where the best players can be and their best positions. Uh, you know, so. Evidently, Mustafer, we saw what happened last season, wasn't that good. As you see it this season, still not that good. And so something's got to change, I feel like, there. And, yeah, and the game planning, I think, um, needs some reworking there, too. So, For sure. Um, moving on to the next one, the New York Jets beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 24-20 in Pittsburgh. Uh, Wayne, pass or grass? I'll grasp this. I, I think this is actually a pretty entertaining game uh, just for like, you know, this year. It wasn't like necessarily uh, the, the both teams are playing awesome football, uh, but, you know, just uh, the amount of activity, whether it be uh, some turnovers here and there, like you know, there was that nice Zach Wilson. Uh, he definitely had some turnovers there, but he actually got rid of the ball uh, when he could have got sacked. And that, that's actually one thing I, I actually want from Justin Fields more so is, you know, you don't have to take sacks like all the time. You know, Tom Brady is really smart about that. Like, you can just get rid of the ball. You know, throw it, uh, uh, you know, above the line of scrimmage or past the line of scrimmage, and you know, see if there if there's a wide receiver, just throw it straight to the ground near them so that the defensive player can't get the ball. But there's yeah, that happened with Justin Fields on you know several occasions. I feel like where he took sacks where he didn't need to. Um, and Zach Wilson, to his credit, 
actually did that and i kind of smiled i was like oh that's a smart play um and you know uh so yeah there there's some nice plays there some nice design gadget plays from the jets um you know and pick pick it now uh trubisky looks like is out at quarterback look it's now Pickett. i i like the chemistry between Pickett and pickens um which i i think that's a that's a great uh name combo uh for quarterback wide receiver um so i, I think that uh you know with uh, him you know getting more first team reps i think that they'll progress there um i'm still kind of mad that you know we're seeing pickens do, performing really well um and you know the bears could have drafted him and said we we picked Kyler Gordon, who's really under, underperforming. So, um, but yeah, I, I think overall, though, um, you know, uh, good on the Jets uh, being able to, I guess, get a win here, though. So, yeah, maybe we could call Pickett and Pickens the "you pick two combo. They could uh, <laughs> do, some, do some endorsements for uh, Panera Bread. But uh, no, man, I don't know. This one didn't feel like a, a monumental loss for the Steelers because I think they're really just that bad. I mean, I think without TJ Watt, you know, causing havoc on the defensive side, you know, without the leadership of whatever, you know, Big Ben was bringing last year. And, you know, it seemed like their line has just kind of continued to degrade season after season. Um, this team's kind of a kind of a hot mess at this point. I, I feel like the, there, there's a lot of weapons, but there's not a lot of protection to like get the most out of those weapons. And there's not somebody to facilitate the offense to you know, uh, utilize the weapons to their strengths. So it's like now we have a receiving core that, you know, they've got Fryermuth and, and Pickens are stepping up, but you still have like the holdovers of Deontay Johnson and, you know, Claypool, who's just kind of been a ghost. So I feel like there's going to be some sort of trade probably coming uh, sometime, maybe middle of the season to you know, maybe move Claypool or, you know, if you could move Deontay Johnson for some line help, like that'd be huge. Maybe a defender. I don't know what they, you could possibly net for him. I don't know his contract offhand, but uh, this didn't feel like an upset is, I guess, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, Zach Wilson uh, looked pretty confident for a guy who's not played a lot of football in the pros, number one, but then also, you know, kind of just starting his week in week four. So to throw for 250, I know he had a couple picks, but like you're saying, getting creative with the offense and, you know, being confident out there and kind of, you know, leading this uh, up and coming Jets team. I mean, Brees Hall, you know, had a score, had, a lot more yardage on the ground this week. So it's kind of like inch by inch, this Jets team, you know, could be kind of exciting. I mean, I, I feel like the the draft was, you know, huge for them in the first round, especially, but, you know, just to kind of come out of there with uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of young talent to be excited about. I mean, maybe they're starting to lay some of those bricks and uh, you know, for, for Trubisky, you know, kind of crazy that he got pulled um, as early as he did. Um, not surprising, but in the same sense, it's like, Hey man, like your rope is already gone and it's only week four, you know? So you're just thinking about like the confidence of what he kind of built up in Buffalo and kind of how, how quickly that unraveled, you know, second he was back into, you know, the fire. So uh, we'll see what happens for the rest of like Mitch's career, um, let alone his season. But, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett first game in, you know, got to give him, you know, some time to develop here, but uh, you know, the three picks out the gate is, it's kind of staggering. Um, you know, wish there was a little bit more to go on to like kind of feel confident with a guy like that. I mean, obviously like he's got a long career ahead to figure all that out, but uh, yeah, man, I, I just think good on the jets for getting this W and we'll kind of see where their season goes. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, I, I, I think uh, with 
with Pickett, you know, there's, I think, you know, hey, this is his first game. Came, he didn't start, so didn't, you know, get all the first team reps, so didn't develop that, you know, continuity with the wide receivers. Um, some of those picks were like, you know, uh, there, I think there might have been some miscommunication here and there. Um, the last one was just the Hail Mary, so, you know, go figure there. Um, but, you know, he did make some nice plays though with his legs, which, <laughs> which, which was pretty intriguing there. So, you know, he, he definitely has that dog attitude. I did like, there was one uh, throw that he did. I think he got he got he got knocked, uh, but he he just smiled at the defender, and I love it. You know, a- after he got back up, so um, love that dog type of mentality. So I, yeah, first game, kind of just throw it out. You know, saw some good things, saw some bad things, but that's kind of what you expect, I would say. So, for sure, um, the next game, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Tampa Bay Bucks on the road, forty-one thirty-one. Wayne Passergrass. I'll pass this because this is a fun game. This is a very high-scoring game. So, <laughs> yeah, really high-scoring. the The score itself is misleading. Um, this was the Chiefs' game. I feel like from start to finish. I mean, they were up big early. Um, they were up big even late. And uh, you know, this is the kind of statement game I think Mahomes have been probably thinking about since they lost the Super Bowl to, to the Bucks. But uh, yeah, I mean, Clyde Edwards, uh, Elaire had a just a, a monster. Uh, performance with a couple touchdowns. I'm sure you're pretty happy about that for your fantasy team, Wayne. Um, Kelsey reestablishing himself as the tight end one. Um, you know, we'll talk about another tight end who was pushing that, but had a huge bus week. Um, but yeah, in general, um, hard to understand what to make of the Bucks this year uh, as far as like a, a championship contenders concerned. I mean, this is them playing one of the best teams in the league, so that this is understandable. But uh, you know, just trying to get a grasp on like what's the upside for the Bucks this year. I love their defense uh, before playing this game, but uh, yeah, man, uh, seemed like Brady actually had much better numbers than he's had all season. Maybe part of that is just his own pride, like you know, trying to put up you know a, a good enough game to to stay close to Patrick Mahomes. But when it comes down to just like the actual game itself, uh, he got outclassed. And, uh, you know, his numbers are fine, but in the same sense, it's like, what's this Bucks team going to be? Like, hopefully, you know, seemed like Godwin was back, so hopefully get him back into the offense and everything like that. But, uh, Wayne, did you have any takeaways even ever, like, watching some of this game too? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you covered most of the things there. Uh, you know, I, I think – Mahomes, I think he got bored and just threw that one interception. I felt like, like <laughs> I was like, why did he do that? But I don't know. I think he just got bored there. Um, funny part is actually I didn't start Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Actually, oh, no, <laughs> I know, dude. and I I, 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 lost by like one point. Um, uh, thanks, thanks to Cooper Cup that last reception. So that I lost by one point in that one reception that he got at the you know at the end of the game. Got it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I actually started uh get this uh James Robinson. Uh <laughs> Same here, man. Same here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was gonna trash. do something, but no, he didn't. So yeah, I, I left some I left some uh some money on the bench there. But um back to the game, I guess. Uh yeah, not the best game from the Buccaneers. I, I, I actually thought that their game plan terribly they only had six carries or six six, six rushes wow. in the entire game wow. it's like you know when you're going against a team like kansas city chiefs right um you gotta slow them down you gotta just not have patrick mahomes as much as possible um on the field and that's where you know when you're passing a bunch like that's 
that tends to be where you're going to lose there. So, um, and he had that one touchdown, but you know, that, that was like a goal line thing. Right. So, um, didn't really have too much uh, activity on the ground. And I, I think when you're going against a team like uh, the Chiefs and you have Patrick Mahomes, like you need to just have him not on the field as much as possible. Um, so I don't think that the game plan properly there. Um, and, you know, Brady, yeah, I got his stats or whatever, but that's just, you know, typical. I, I guess that's like a Brady loss stat line, like just a bunch of passes, um, you know, for some yardage here and there. But, uh, yeah, in the end, you know, a lot of it was just uh, – yeah, the Chiefs, yeah, they were up by a pretty good amount uh, early on. And I think they're just like, hey, we'll give whatever points uh, to the Buccaneers. But, you know, we're going to kind of, you know, play a little bit of uh, prevent defense a little bit, you know, just making sure that uh, they just kill some time. So I, I think, yeah, good win on the Chiefs. Uh, nice revenge type of game. Uh, and, you know, at the same time, I, I, I think that was just a poor planning on on the Buccaneers side a little bit more. Um, so, but. Yeah, I think going forth, though, from a Buccaneer standpoint, I won't feel too terribly about it yet. Got it. And the next one, we had Minnesota Vikings uh, going over the New Orleans Saints in in London. Uh, This game started pretty early on Sunday. Uh, I actually got to catch it at breakfast time, but uh, Wayne, pass or grass? Was that balling breakfast for you? Was it- <laughs> I was I was definitely balling at my breakfast. I was at the local uh, Saratoga Pizzeria here uh, that does a breakfast special. So I had some eggs Benedict with some home fries. Uh, our son was uh, eating some steamed vegetables and some Greek style potatoes. And uh, I think my wife copied me too with the eggs Benedict. But I got to give her a tip of the cap. But I kind of peeked over in both sides of my eyes and I kind of saw some football going on. I, I did like a double take. I was like, is this like a replay of last week or something like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like they're in London. That's right. Okay, cool. Like we got breakfast and, uh, and some football here. So some ball and some breakfast. So for How sure. That? How about that? Yeah. In that <laughs> case, uh, I'll pass it off to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is like, for me, the Greg Joseph game. I mean, shout out Greg Joseph kicker of the Minnesota Vikings for five field goals and 16 total points. I mean, that's a that's a kicker putting the team on his back to win a football game because there's not much else to say. I mean, New Orleans Saints are a really good defense, uh, taking nothing away from them. Uh, Cousins got some good yardage, but you know, not not much going on uh, passing wise. I mean, I feel like the running game was like respectable at best, but uh, you know, uh, again, tip the cap to Justin Jefferson for a huge uh, you know yardage and and kind of reception type week. But uh, yeah, it definitely seemed like the special teams stepped up. Um, in a game where Jameis Winston was down, we had the uh, quote-unquote QB1, Andy Dalton, uh, taking over for the Saints. Um, actually had a pretty respectable game on his own end and speeding it to Latavius Murray, who's been on every single team in the NFL at this point. So um, looks like Chris Olave, another score, uh, your rookie of the year you know, pick. So he's he's definitely showing out. Um, you know, Saints dropped to one and three. Um that's kind of shocking. It's kind of shocking. Um, you know, the quarterback play has been pretty subpar, but that team's got just a lot of experience on its end. And like, they just seem like a unified type of team to like drop to one and three at this point. So I think, um, you know, as far as next week goes, uh, they got the Seahawks at home. And I think a lot of people were pretty excited about like the saints bouncing back there. So maybe they can like hold this all together, but, uh, you know, in general, uh, well-fought game by both sides. Minnesota going to 3-1 is pretty big, too, just to kind of even themselves up with the Packers. But, uh, 
yeah, um, Wayne, do you have a, any thoughts on this game or, or either of these teams? Um, I mean, yeah, I think you, you said all of my points. I mean, Chris Olave, like, I, I just love the guy. <laughs> you know, I, I, in my opinion, I thought he was the best wide receiver. Like, he has, he can do the entire route tree. I think that's his whole thing. Like, he's as good as a route runner and he's fast too. Uh, but yeah, he's just as good of a route runner uh, as anybody in this wide receiver class. Um, in a way, I must feel like, you know, they're, they're kind of like looking past uh, Jameis Winston in a way, and maybe they're going to draft a quarterback at the first round, you know. Uh, maybe that's their whole uh, MO, what they're strategically trying to do, because they do have a lot of the talent. Um, it, it, I think that's the thing about, like, what, what differentiates, a, I guess, a solid organization from, like, the Bears in a way and how they navigate things. It's like you, you have – you surround your – you get a bunch of good players first, uh, and then you get the quarterback, you know, and, and you, you kind of make that transition as smooth as possible, get them the weapons. So um, I understand, yeah, the, the Ryan Pace kind of put them in a hole with regards to the salary cap and all that. So I get all that. But, um, you know, uh, I, I think that that could possibly be what the um, Saints are doing, is just having this, you know, good, good overall solid veterans on both the offensive and defensive side uh, with some young talent. And then, hey, yeah, maybe they, they do uh, – you know, draft a solid, you know, quarterback coming out of this draft and, you know, that's their future. So, uh, of which case, then you have a quarter, a young quarterback and a young wide receiver and an Olave going forth. Uh, so just big picture thinking over there, but you know, in this game, yeah. Uh, Vikings, this was like, this was kind of a Kirk Cousins type of game. <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> uh, where he wins actually. Um, yeah, it doesn't, you know, he doesn't do too much here there. Uh, you know, he had that one interception, but, you know, he definitely kept them in the game. Uh, yeah, utilized Justin Jefferson. Um, and, yeah, Justin Jefferson picked up a touchdown in the Russian touchdown, too. So good overall game for the fantasy owners there. Bounced back from last week. Um, but, yeah, I think going forth, though, um, you know, uh, I, I, I do think that the Saints should get a couple more wins here and there. But uh, it, if uh, – they're relying on Dalton and Winston. Uh, you know, they're they're definitely much more the game managers, I think, in their career at this point. So, yeah, definitely. Next game, we had the Atlanta Falcons beating the Cleveland Browns at home, twenty three twenty. Wayne, pass or grass? I'll pass this. Yeah, surprising game. I mean, I think we were both chatting about the Browns possibly going to three and one to start off the year. I think we had some pretty high hopes for that. Um, I don't even know how the Falcons uh, <laughs> took control of this game, got the victory. I mean, it looked like Tyler Algier has been kind of a popular name now to like add as a running back. Um, Huntley is backup actually had five and a half uh, yards per carry two with the touchdown. So it's kind of like they established the, you know, the ground game against the Browns, which is a little surprising, man. I thought they might go to the air game. Um, you know, just considering like how I, I think stout the Cleveland Browns defense has been so far. So, um, just a little shocking. I don't know, you know, having not watched the game and kind of tracking like, you know, specific highlights from the game itself. I don't know what went wrong for the Browns. I mean, this seems like an opponent that even on the road, they should probably be, you know, taken care of given like the, you know, um, just the overall like rating of the t- the team and its talent stuff. But, uh, you know, Chubb had his, his like normal, you know, workhorse type game again, showed out like he usually does. But other than that, I don't really know what went wrong. Um, if you have thoughts on the actual game itself, if you saw any clips or anything like that or, or watched it, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 
I mean, the only thing I see, uh, I didn't really watch it too, but the only thing I think I, I saw or see in the stat line here is uh, the the Browns had seven penalties for it was about fifty one yards, which you know isn't too bad, I guess, from the yardage standpoint. I think it's, if it's a hundred yards, it's like yeah, you're definitely gonna lose. Uh, but you know the 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 Falcons didn't really kill themselves. They did have the one turnover, but they only had one penalty for fifteen yards, uh, which I, I guess is like some sort of. Um, uh, uh, you know, rushing the pass or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it, it appears that the Falcons they just ran the ball through uh, the Browns' throats in a way. Like Mariota didn't have a good game, uh, so it really wasn't him. Uh, and but at the same time, I, it, it appears that the Falcon or the Browns didn't really like take the game away from the Falcons in that sense. Brissett had a you know okay game, didn't get any touchdowns. Uh, you know, Chubb had a pretty good game. Hunt had a pretty good game. Uh, but yeah, it seems like the penalties were the biggest factor here overall. Um, and then, yeah, the Falcons kind of just played ball control. So, I mean, yeah. that, that's probably the way that to go, I think, for them going forward. They, as they don't have too much of a passing game now. So, yeah. Yeah. And any new thoughts on the Browns based on this loss? I mean, this was, this was definitely a bad loss. It was on the road. Um, so I guess don't want to give it too much, uh, you know, a flavor there, but, um, you know, I, I I think they just need to play a cleaner game, or you know, uh, have, maybe have a uh, reset like uh, go go for a deep ball on occasion too. I don't know. Yeah, just not the best win uh, or not the best loss uh, for the Browns' perspective. So, yeah, gotcha. In our next game, Seattle was on the road in Detroit and pulled out a victory, forty-eight to forty-five. Wayne, pass or grass? Oh, grass this. I mean, it was pretty interesting like this was a shootout like holy cow and um i did have hawkinson so that was nice <laughs> he had a hell of a game a hell of a game so uh and at the same time you know gino hell of a game i, I think there's there there's those memes of like wait uh what's russell wilson's stat line and then what's gino smith's stat line like gino smith's been killing it uh so far this season so um you know, it, the Lions definitely have, I think they have the number one offense, but then the, their last place defense in terms of yardage. <laughs> so, you know, you, you definitely see where, where the issues are uh, from the team perspective. Uh, and that, in this game, they were without their two best weapons, right? I think with uh, St. Brown and Swift, if, if I'm not mistaken. So it's like, you know, they, which I, I definitely liked, you know, Hawkinson, he was going to get, you know, a lot of targets there. So, um, yeah, I think it's great that, you know, Jared Goff, I feel like this is like the battle of the bastards in a way, right? Like Jared Goff was the one that they, they, they took him out, right, uh, from the Rams. Uh, and then now he's doing better than Stafford. Granted, you know, Stafford won the Super Bowl and they kind of needed him. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, at the same, and across the, the other team, uh, yeah, uh, they picked uh, Geno Smith now. Uh, over Russell Wilson, so it's kind of like, hey, uh, even though we're the castoffs, we're we're killing it over our, you know, uh, our counterparts at least at this point in the season. So, um, high scoring game, great game to watch, uh, especially from the fantasy perspective. So, uh, but you know, I think uh, great, uh, great win. I think if for the Seahawks for this time around. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's kind of staying consistent after looking at this score um, of what, you know, I guess my thoughts were on the Detroit Lions coming into this year. Like I figured the offense would be much better based on how their line graded out 
their defense really poorly graded and it's showing um even watching hard knocks i mean looking at the lions it was like their offense would just put it to them in, in minicamp and stuff and it would just get like aaron glenn all fired up their defensive coordinator and stuff so like it's just kind of showing out in the regular season now like it's already like hard on the lions for having just like such a poor culture for you know just losing and kind of accepting defeat in a way because i have a lot of optimism about where the team could possibly go um you know, hopefully Goff can just have a great year at quarterback and like really build build like rapport with a lot of these guys because I think they have some fixtures in their in their offensive guys can stay healthy. Um, it's just that defensive side of the ball just needs some time to develop. Uh, you know, you need to bring over some some fresh legs, some fresh bodies, maybe sign a guy or two. Um, but maybe this is the start of something interesting in Detroit. Um, you know, they came up short, and and you know, to the credit of Seattle. You know, Rashad Penny had like a huge day along with Geno Smith. Um, good to see Geno taking advantage of his opportunity um, to be a starting quarterback again in the NFL. He's showing, you know, not only with his uh, his legs, but also his arm. that He's like able to kind of be somebody you can trust. I mean, hopefully somebody you can, uh, you know, keep in that in that position for the rest of the season, if that's what, you know, he's showing so far. So, uh, you know, whether or not I think Seattle is like a true you know, contender, no, not, not, not really. But um, in the same sense, I feel like, um, you know, they're, they're showing that they can be respectable. And uh, I think that's, I think that's enough to say, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, defensively they gave up 45 points still. Um, even if we do like where the lines are going on offense, it's, it's still, you know, a huge score. So I just don't, I don't have a finger on like their identity on the defensive side of the ball either with Seattle. So um, it's just hard to say, but you know, you know, you gotta you gotta respect what Gino's been able to do in the time that he's had uh, so far this season. Yeah, and I, I guess just one more thing to add. Uh, you know, Tariq Woolen, that was a nice find from them, uh, drafted into the fifth round, like ran a four point two, uh, a forty, uh, had an interception in this game. He's been playing pretty well overall uh, on the defensive side for Seattle. So there's at least one bright spot, I think, on the defensive side there. Uh, even though, yeah, they they gave a bunch of points over to the lions. Um, so yeah, just one shout out there, uh, from the Seahawks. In our next game, we had the Tennessee Titans going over the Indianapolis Colts on the road, 24, 17 Wayne pass or grass. Uh, I, I would definitely pass this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, Tannehill str- strung together two good games here. He's keeping his job alive. I mean, he's depending a lot on Derrick Henry. who's had like two blow up monster games out of the backfield so far. So, you know, that's encouraging enough um, for them to get to two and two, though. You know, honestly speaking, I wasn't sure what was going on out of the gate. It seemed like they had just completely disappeared as a team that was a you know playoff contender. And like what was they were the number one seed, I think, in the AFC last year um, to now being two and two. That might change my impression a little bit. Like I'm not completely sold on them, but given how bad the AFC South could be you know, depending on what happens with, you know, Jacksonville and where Indianapolis goes from here. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they can, you know, yet again, win another crown. It, it's kind of to be determined. So at least they put themselves back into, you know, the running for it. Cause those first two weeks were so miserable to watch uh, just, just on their ends. Um, Indianapolis, I don't have a ton else to say that I didn't say last week. I mean, Ryan, uh, look pretty inconsistent uh, in this one. Taylor is getting a lot of volume, but just not a lot of output. Um, I think he also has an injury now too to boot. So, uh, you know, just for the Colts, uh, 
they got a lot of soul searching to do. I think they actually are playing. Um, they aren't playing the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, next week. They're, they got them the week after. So um, scratch what I was going to say. They got the Broncos next Thursday uh, for the Thursday night game. But what I was going to say is that Tennessee now is going to play Washington next week. So that'll give them a good, you know, probably, probably like uh, just a good transition leeway into like, you know, getting above 500 and putting themselves back into contention. But uh, I think I mentioned that Washington's playing Jacksonville next week. So that's, Definitely not the case. Nobody's playing Jacksonville next week. Get them off the list. But, uh, yeah, in general, um, don't know what my final takeaway is from, from this game exactly other than, you know, Tennessee's back into contention and Indianapolis, like, really, like, need to start firing, like, some sort of alarm bells here. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, you know, the Colts are probably the most disappointing team, I think, uh, so far this season. I I think I might have picked them to to win the division, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh yeah like they 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 just been kind of just underperforming um overall uh Taylor didn't have a great game uh Ryan definitely has been underperforming uh but then obviously you know you got to give credit to the Titans uh didn't have the best start but you know now they're pulling off some wins here uh Tannehill uh you know it, I, it definitely is something where you you know I think it kind of under or it definitely shows like the impact that AJ Brown had um you know he just didn't get off the gates uh, as well, um, didn't really like like put the stat line up, up you know, too crazy here. But you know, o- okay game, especially when you have you know Derrick Henry doing Derrick Henry things, I guess overall. So um, didn't really make any mistakes uh, this game. So it was definitely much more of a you know ball control type of win, kind of old school um, win for uh, the Titans here. So hopefully, yeah, this you know maybe this is like their new identity, uh, but. Uh, you know, it, it is a. It, it definitely just goes to show, I think, that the impact that AJ Brown had for this offense uh, and that they're missing. So, um, you know, hopefully, then we see maybe more of Traylon Brooks or Traylon Burks a little bit more, uh, or maybe you know, uh, getting more continuity. I think with Robert Woods getting the chemistry a little bit further um, could definitely be helping Tannehill. But yeah, it just seems like they, from the uh, the passing game standpoint, just needed. Uh, to find a little bit more continuity and that rhythm. Yeah, definitely. I love that they call him Bobby Trees, Robert Woods. I just think that's like a great nickname for that guy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. Uh, last point I was going to make on Matt Ryan is I feel like because he won an MVP and because he got his team uh, to the Super Bowl, I think he gets like way too much hype for what he really is as a quarterback. I mean, maybe it's just because he's in like his his tail years of his career. But I was actually just trying to look up you know, his stats comparative to like, you know, Kirk Cousins and even, um, you know, Carson Wentz. I mean, I feel like Wentz is definitely the the third best out of that, out of that trio, just looking at their stats overall. But like when I look at Cousins stats over the last four years in comparison to, to even Matt Ryan's, I mean, I think Cousins got his number a little bit. So, I mean, it felt like when they made that trade, they were like, like start the, start the parade. It kind of, <laughs> it was like, and I was like, wait, like, haven't we been watching Matt Ryan in Atlanta, like with this last place team, like the last three or four years? And it's just like, maybe there's just a little bit too much, uh, you know, respect being put on his name for him to be like still in the conversation for like a guy who can lead a team to a playoff, you know, series or whatever else. Like, I kind of feel like toward the end of Big Ben's career, they're giving him that same kind of praise. And we were all kind of shaking our heads like wondering like are you watching the same game i'm watching because 
I know that guy won a Super Bowl and everything like that, but you know he's not bringing it like he used to. Yeah, I mean, I think at, at least at this point, and I'm looking at the stats too. You know, Matt Ryan didn't have a winning season with the last, I think, four seasons with the the Falcons. I, I I know that they you know suffered some turnover on the defensive end and and all, and you know th- there was definitely a lot of uh, things that occurred. I think after their Super Bowl loss, so uh, and it also like. Matt Ryan always had like a bunch of weapons that like prime Julio Jones and everything and a little bit of Ridley. So it's not like, you know, he was deprived of anybody. Um, and, you know, Kirk Cousins, uh, I, I think they they definitely have some similarities there where they are surrounded by a lot of talent um, on the offensive side. And it's like, okay, half their job is just getting the ball to, the, to those playmakers. Um, you know, they're just being smart, but, you know, uh, Matt Ryan passed a lot. I think it was the biggest thing I've seen. I think he led the league in passing uh, in 2020, two, 626 attempts overall, which is nuts, um, and 4,500 yards there. So, you know, a lot was put, I guess, on Matt Ryan. And, you know, they, I guess it was just, hey, man, just pass the ball and see what happens. And that was kind of their mentality. Um, but, yeah, they, they really weren't doing too much. Whereas Kirk Cousins, you know, a little bit more of a balanced offense, you know, with Devin Cook and all that. So, um, but, yeah, and, and kind of a mediocre record as well. So definitely some similarities. I don't know which one I would take. Uh, both are kind of, you know, that fringe type of quarterback, I feel like. But, um, yeah, right now, Matt Ryan's not playing his best uh, brand of football. No doubt. Um, next game, the Philadelphia Eagles went to 4-0 over uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, 29-21 in Philly. Wayne Passergrass. I I'll, I'll grasp this. I mean, you know, I I was kind of like trying to be bullish with the the Jaguars, but they played like a young team. I think uh, this time around, uh, Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence had those he had like four fumbles or something like that, like ridiculous. Uh, I think they had five t- turnovers overall, and you can't do that against the Eagles. I think the the one good thing is that I think they only lost by like eight points, right, or something. So it's like. They had all those turnovers, but they only, they, you know, they only won by, or yeah, they only lost by like a touchdown, right? You know, plus like a two point conversion. So it's like, I guess like that's one silver lining is that, you know, they, they, they gave the ball there. They essentially lost the game themselves. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think that is one credit, I guess, just show maybe if, you know, a silver lining for the Jaguars overall. Um, you know, I, I, it was definitely a rainy day, so hopefully, you know, for their sake and Trevor Lawrence's sake, that uh, you know the ball he, just doesn't slip out as much in the next you know game or the rest of the season. So, but yeah, turnovers really cost them the game. Uh, Eagles played you know fairly clean game. Uh, defense definitely showed up. I, I think that's the one thing I've been seeing is that this defense, this Eagle defense, you know, is deadly. Um, you know. Uh, you talk about the secondary, you talk about sweat, you talk about whoever, Fletcher Cox, like a bunch of just, you know, uh, uh, playmakers on the defensive side. Um, and they, you know, part of that was, you know, Lawrence, those turnovers was Lawrence just not handing the ball correctly, but you got to give some credit to that defense. So, um, yeah, good overall team win, I think, from the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, uh, defensively, Hassan Reddick, uh, two sacks, two fumble recoveries, handful of tackles, QB hit, one for uh, – uh, even a tackle for a loss. It's just like he was all over the field as a playmaker. Um, TJ Edwards is also stepping up as just the guy who's going to, you know, get into pursuit and take guys down. I feel like he's, you know, accruing a lot of tackles week over week. But um, I actually thought the Jaguars were going to, you know, be in this or give it a run. I mean, at the start, they got off to a, you know – 
a 14-0 lead uh, after the first quarter, you know, just kind of tracking scores and seeing some of the highlights. I was like, wow, like, again, screw stuff can happen early on the season. But, uh, yeah, in general, I, I, you know, I feel pretty good about the Jaguars team. But, you know, like you're saying, some of their inexperience probably, you know, bit them in the butt. I mean, Trevor Lawrence going on the road uh, in Philly, probably like one of the most hostile environments and, uh, you know, coughing up uh, five five balls overall. I mean, it's not it's not what you want to see. but uh, you know, I think he can probably shake this one off as, you know, a good learning experience for him in his second year. And, you know, too bad for Doug Peterson. It would have been nice to see him kind of go back into into Philly and get a big victory with his new team, especially with you know, how they've been playing out of the gate so far. I'm really, really behind this team. I, I, I like how they, you know, go about the game and stuff. And even to, like, you know, compete with Philly, who I think, you know, now showing, like, they don't really, there's not a lot of holes here. They got to play you know, maybe a more formidable opponent opponent or two on the road. And, you know, I'll start getting, you know, pretty, pretty excited about them as a, as a dark horse Super Bowl contender. But uh, yeah, this season had, couldn't have started off any better for, for Philly. Yeah. Philly's definitely like, I think they're the only undefeated team if I'm not mistaken right now. So, and they're, they're definitely showing like uh, t- being one of the top contenders, I think in the NFL. So especially in the NFC. Definitely. I'm, I'm fact checking and you are correct, sir. They are the only undefeated, undefeated team in the NFL still. Yep. There we go. Yeah, And I, I think that the Raiders were the last team that was, uh, had no wins. Uh, Oh no, I take that back. The Texans are still, uh, I think. Oh, three and one. Right. So yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot about that. First yeah, that tie. tie. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid ties, man. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, our next game was an interesting one. I actually watched this one. Uh, Buffalo won 23-20 on the road in Baltimore. Uh, Wayne Passer grass. I'll, I'll, I'll grass this since it's, it's my AFC team, the Ravens here. Um, you know, boo a 20-3 uh, lead uh, against the Bills. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely one of those mixtures of, you know, the ball, uh, uh, the Ravens um, not being able to move the ball in the second half and, they just can't seem to close out games. It's it's ridiculous. Um, and you know, there's been made a lot about that whole fourth, uh, the fourth and two, uh, in the goal line. Um, I didn't have any issues necessarily with that call uh, to go for it. I had issues more so with the actual play call. Um, you know, it looked like it was just kind of a drop drop back pass for uh, Lamar Jackson at the, like the two yard line or, or whatever, and it's like. Why wouldn't you like try to roll him out, like get utilize those legs so that he can kind of have that option to either run it in um, or or throw a pass? Uh, I think there was some internal pressure that occurred, uh, you know, when he was dropping back, and that was like you just backpedaling, backpedaling, just kind of chucked it into the end zone, and and that that turned out to, to be uh, that turned out to to be uh, an interception. Um, but it's like you know if they just rolled out a little bit or you know, uh, again, utilize his legs a little bit more rather than just being a drop down, then I, like, that's where I just feel a lot more comfortable, you know, going for it on fourth and, uh, I think it was, yeah, fourth and two at the goal line area. So, I, yeah, again, I don't have a problem or issue necessarily doing that, especially when the defense was kind of just giving up points a little bit there uh, and the offense really wasn't getting, you know, uh, didn't have the momentum behind it. So I understand there was like four minutes left and, um, you know, eventually, yeah, Josh, Allen did Josh Allen things. There was that uh, late hit, I think, for Brandon Stevens that cost him the 15 yard there too. So, yeah, you know, I, I guess they just didn't have faith in their defense. And 
you know, uh, there was definitely that scene of Marcus Peters just being pissed off <laughs> at, uh, at at John Harbaugh, and you know, it, it, it's definitely a demoralizing win. But you know, I think hoping that that the Ravens get their, I guess I don't want to say their act together, but yeah, like being able to, to uh, hold on to these leads against like a quality opponent, like yeah, like like the uh, like like the Buffalo Bills here. So like that definitely would have been a good win, but. You know, uh, made some bad plays and uh, wasn't able to move the ball. And, yeah, just some uh, bad play calling overall, I I think, that happened at the end of the game there. So, but, yeah, again, uh, no issues with the play uh, with going for it, just issue with the play call. Yeah, I mean, I I think we can see that the Ravens are probably going to be a surefire playoff contender this year. I mean, just in the playoffs uh, as it is. I mean, but, you know, a couple of close games away from being 4-0-2. I mean, it's like... These are, it's like a game of inches. It almost comes down to like, you know, these these types of plays like you were alluding to with the fourth and two call. Um, on the other side, I think just Buffalo um, seemingly being down this entire game. I mean, the the momentum and just like the control of the game, Baltimore was stifling on defense. It was like watching Buffalo go three and out for almost the first, the entire first half. I was just kind of in shock, like, Wow, like I'm, I'm, my guys are actually going up against Josh Allen in this fantasy matchup, and like he's been completely shut out for this whole first half. I was like getting excited, and then you know for Buffalo to just kind of have the poise to, you know, stay in the game, you know, um, put their heads down and kind of like really like fight their way all the way back in to take the lead. I kind of, uh, you know, I give them a lot more respect. I mean, I feel like they're starting to learn like, you know, it's not just about showing up and being part of, you know you know, the dance, once they get to the playoffs, it's like, we're actually like a good enough team now where we're going to beat anybody in this league. And like, we have the capabilities of coming back and like being the aggressor and like, yeah, you could just kind of feel the momentum slipping out of the Ravens fingers, you know, the closer and closer it got to the fourth quarter. So um, yeah, it's a big loss for, for the Ravens yet again, um, especially at home against such a formidable opponent, like to beat the bills, would have been like a nice, you know, feather in their cap would have been something they could get excited about, you know, going through the year and playing more teams down the line. Now it's kind of like, you know, maybe they, they kind of waver back and forth for the rest of their year. Maybe they lack a little bit of confidence in closing out for a while. But uh, I think for Buffalo's, you know, from their standpoint, after, you know, the Miami game, just coming up, like just coming up short, like this was a huge victory for them. And like, yeah, we'll kind of establish uh, themselves at the top of the, the AFC going forward here. Yeah, big win for the Bills. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people pre- predicted them to uh, to go go to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, they're 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 showing that they're a, a really good team and everything. It's just yeah, there's spurts here and there. Whether you know, be with uh, against like the the Dolphins where they they, they look a little lackluster. Um, but you know, when they show up, they show up, and they're just as good as any team in the NFL. Um, and that's kind of expected with the talent and the coaching and, and everything that they have in place uh, going forth. So, uh, but yeah, uh, it looks like the Ravens have Bengals uh, for their next game. So that'll be a fun matchup. I think it'd be like, you know, Ravens at two and two, uh, are they going to go under 500 against, you know, the defending AFC uh, champions here? Um, you know, we'll see. And, you know, from the Bengals standpoint, um, you know, uh, are, are they going to go under 500 too as well? So this, that, that'll definitely be a fun game, I think, going forth uh, to see which direction potentially that you know, these teams will be going uh, this season. Yeah, it looks like it's the Sunday night game too, and it's back in Baltimore. So it feels like the Ravens are going to come out and be 
you know, pretty amped up for this one, but, you know, I'm sure the Bengals don't want to fall too far behind either. So uh, we, we shall see this weekend, but uh, in the next one, we had the Los Angeles chargers on the road against the Houston Texans and they won 34, 24 uh, Wayne pass or grass. Oh, I'll pass this off to you. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, definitely a must win for the chargers in terms of, you know, how serious they want to be this year. Um, they, they took care of business in this one. They were up 27, seven at the half. Uh, Herbert was pretty much flawless. I mean, getting Eckler back into the into the game more was so important for them. I mean, for him to be like a tertiary option for them is just not going to cut it. I mean, he's got to be like the foundation of what they do on the offense with with Herbert. Um, Gerald Everett is having some good games here. He's he's getting touchdowns. He's catching a respectable amount of passes. I mean, he's becoming like you know when Keenan Allen is down, they've got another you know, weapon that they can go to and kind of trust there. Uh, Mike Williams had a good game too, but uh, no, I I think, um, you know, just in terms of like the games you need to win, like these are definitely those for, you know, the Chargers. And uh, I don't know, on the flip side, the only thing I can say for the Texans is just, you know, Damian Pierce is having, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, a more established breakout of a season at this point. I mean, I feel like, um, wasn't too sure what to think coming out of mini camp. I mean, the, the praise was heaped upon him. He was obviously moving up draft boards pretty high for fantasy and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, how that translated to the NFL and actual football games, I wasn't, you know, too sure, but for him to do a uh, hundred plus yards, uh, 20 plus carries, he's getting into the passing game more. Um, you know, he, he's putting up good stat lines as a kid who's, you know, fresh out of college or whatever. So, um, got to give him res- his respect, but uh, in the same sense, I mean, Houston falling to 0-3 and one, like you were saying. I mean, they're one of the worst teams in football, so I mean, I think this is going to be just like a really uh, tough, uh, experiential type year for for everybody on that on that cast. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think with the Texans, it's like you know, is Davis Mills the person? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I've spoken. I don't say highly of him. It's like he's all right, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know. They're they're definitely the bottom rung of the T- of the NFL uh, at least at this point. Um, so just gonna get some d- nice draft capital. It sounds like uh, with the Chargers. Hey, it's great that yeah now they're they're two and two. Uh, you know I have high hopes for them. They they definitely have a nice squad. You know for this year, I know they lost I think Rashawn Slater for the rest of the season. So that's that's very disappointing. You know from the offensive line standpoint, but. Um, you know, they certainly still have uh, plenty of weapons on the offensive side to, uh, uh, you know, to make plays, especially with Justin Herbert and, you know, Eckler is definitely like kind of like their, you know, quasi MVP, if you will, like where the team goes, I feel like is where Eckler goes or vice versa. Um, and that defense, I, I think, you know, they definitely stepped up, you know, sure they gave up points at the end there. That's kind of expected. And, you know, this kind of, uh, um, game in a way, but, you know, uh, Bryce Callahan, I think I said he's the best nickelback in the in the entire NFL, uh, at least, you know, uh, especially with this team and all the playmakers that they have on the, on the defensive end. Uh, this this defense is always going to kind of keep this uh, uh, this team into or yeah, this 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 team in games. So, um, yeah, good overall win, I think, from the Chargers going forth and uh, hopefully that they uh, keep keeps some continuity going. Yeah, one thing to note is Joey Bosa is also going to be out for eight to ten weeks. Um, that's a huge loss for them too on the defensive side because they know how excited they were about you know pairing him with Mac and you know some of their other acquisitions. But uh, what 
a few analysts were talking about was how the Chargers set up their defense where they want to kind of take away, you know, the passing game and they want to attack you on the edges. So they, they will give you yards in the middle and, uh, you know, with Pierce going for over 130 yards and James Robinson having a game against them. I mean, it feels like the Los Angeles Chargers might be pretty vulnerable against teams with good ground games. So, yeah. you know, that's just something to be a little bit concerned about. Like if you've got Josh Allen, you know, uh, steamrolling ahead or a Lamar Jackson, you know, kind of showing, you know, his skills on the ground or something like that. Like if they're going to leave that middle of the field open, um, it could be somewhat of a tough year for the Chargers on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think they were designed to uh, compete against the Chiefs, which makes sense. Uh, <laughs> but then guess who they're going in their next game? Uh, the Cleveland Browns. So oh, boy. <laughs> that oh, should man. be fun in Cleveland. We, so, we love yeah. Chubb. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to run the ball through their throats. And, you know, they have an awesome offensive line. So that that'll be an interesting game, you know, kind of going against, you know, the Cleveland Browns strength, the run game, and the offensive line versus – yeah, the Chargers being kind of vulnerable uh, up the middle. So, um, but yeah, so that'll be a fun game. <laughs> Definitely. Um, next one, we had the Arizona Cardinals going over the Carolina Panthers in uh, Charlotte, twenty six sixteen. Uh, Wayne Passergrass. Uh, I'll 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 grasp this. I mean, you know, I, I guess the the whole quick thing is that uh, thank God that the the. Cardinals got Marquise Brown. He's he's been making plays for them. Uh, you know, caught a touchdown and everything. So it's great that they have him, and especially as Hopkins, you know, is is out for like half the season or whatever. So um, and at the same time on the other side of the ball, uh Baker Mayfield just hasn't been making the plays, just not making uh, you know, had some turnovers and he got a quarterback rating of like 60 or something like that. Um, which I guess for Bears fans, like that's a decent game. Uh, so, but yeah, just hasn't been playing overall that well. Uh, you know, I think there were some miscues uh, with uh, with DJ Moore. So, you know, they they have some work to to do for them. I, I know that their defense made some plays, but you know, at the end of the day, the Cardinals made a little bit more play, made more plays. I think, uh, obviously, than the Panthers in, in this game. But yeah, uh, just good that they have Marquise Brown to for Kyle, Kyle Murray to, to pass it to because you know, he's, he's really been uh, showing up uh, for the, for the Cardinals this season. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Cardinals just still kind of seem to play down to their competition. I mean, the Frankie Louvu uh, touchdown interception to the house was big. He had a great game overall. I think he had like 11, 11 tackles too uh, for the Panthers. But uh, yeah, I mean, besides the Cardinals just kind of like, playing some middling football out of the gate. Um, Baker Mayfield is just not an NFL starter anymore. I think that's what we're, you know, quickly coming to in terms of like takeaways and stuff. Uh, you know, DJ Moore was interviewed uh, throughout last week and they were asking him pointedly, like, you know, have you been getting open? Like, is he just missing you? And then, you know, DJ was just so uncomfortable and like, you know, smiling and just trying to like play around it a little bit. He's like, well, like, you know, what do you see out there? Like, you know, I kind of feel like I've been open, you know, and he's like, you know, just like just being very nice about it. But it's like, you know, with Robbie Anderson kind of, you know, uh, even when Baker wasn't a Panther kind of saying like, no, don't bring this guy in. Um, you know, it's kind of playing itself out pretty quickly. Like, you know, and I don't even know who Baker Mayfield can kind of be. I mean, maybe he's a top tier backup uh, at this point. I don't I don't I don't necessarily know because, you know, it doesn't look like he's capable of keeping, uh, you know, a team in a, in a 
kind of a winning situation. I feel like he's got a lot of weapons. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, you know, brand new offensive tackle. He's got DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, other guys like this is too much good to be putting up 16 points. In my opinion, like there should be definitely more to this offense if Baker Mayfield is actually what he says he is. So it's, it's disappointing, but um, you know, Carolina is definitely going to be in the cellar, I would say for the NFC South and for the NFC overall. Yeah. I wonder if there's like any Carolina Panther fans are like, bring in Sam Darnold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, yeah. De- definitely not. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of sucks, man. It's like two two straight mistakes, two two years in a row and uh you know, they they took a decent gamble with uh draft picks and stuff to get Darnold from the Jets, but uh man, I don't know, like Matt Rule um too, like if he's some sort of offensive guru, he hasn't really showed it, you know, at all. So um this could be his final year too. Like I don't know, maybe he gets fired mid-season or something like that, but uh yeah, I don't know. CMC is still upright. That's probably the only thing we can maybe be excited about if you're a Panthers fan. Like, they, he got way more work in the receiving game than the rushing game, which was like a, a flip-flop from where he was the first few weeks. So, I don't know. It still didn't translate to to a real competitive game out of the Panthers. And, uh, yeah, it just looks like they're going straight south. Next one up, we had the Packers uh, beating the Patriots in Green Bay in overtime, 27-24. Uh, Wayne, pass your grass. All passes. Uh, just a good show out from uh, Bailey Zappi uh, coming out and having, you know, pretty awesome debut in Lambeau. I mean, that's it's a pretty harsh uh, environment to kind of go into for your first game, especially when you're not, you know, probably playing with the first team during practices and stuff and getting like serious reps and stuff. So, you know, it's good on him to come out and, and do his thing. I think uh, Brian Hoyer well, left the game with a concussion uh, yet again, like another player who's, uh, you know, going through those issues and um, things, you know, with the NFL kind of having to shore up. I don't know what they can actually do about preventing this stuff, but uh, yeah, just the optics of it. I'm sure, even if he was uh, not fully uh, concussed or you know whatever else, he's probably held out for for all sorts of reasons. But uh, the Patriots seem to have a really like strong running game. I mean, I think that's like their bread and butter. Like they're going to rely on Harrison Stevenson like all year to keep them in games. I mean. Zappy was basically doing like the Mac Jones light, I want to say, just from the quarterback position. But you know, from the Packers side of things, I mean, Aaron Rodgers had a had a better game. Uh, you know, Alan Lazard was involved in the offense, and uh, yeah, they're two headed monster. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's also a thing. I mean, Dylan and Jones are going to be, you know, a serious tandem to deal with, um, especially. You know, just just kind of keeping in games down the down the rest of the regular season here. But uh, you know, with that defense. Uh, you know, still playing pretty well for, for Green Bay. I think they're, you know, a legit contender in the NFC and uh it was just a you know, just a solid win for them. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I think yeah, this is a good game for uh Green Bay. Uh would they have liked to have won by more? Sure. Uh you know, especially with the backup you know, rookie quarterback you know, for the Patriots, but uh yeah, the 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 Patriots, they know how to just game plan. They 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 they're they're still smart. They're not the most talented, but they're st- uh, when you have Bill Belichick, he just knows how like not to usually like hurt yourself. Um, but you know, it's nice that you know Green Bay. They're kind of becoming like with almost like the Browns like wannabe in a way, right? Like with good solid defense, uh, you know, uh, two running backs that can just run down the throats of uh, the the opposing defense, and uh, you know, with uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, 
uh, and having been Deshaun Watson for the Browns in a way, it's like, yes, having somebody that's capable of making a player too, uh, you know, from the quarterback position. So, um, yeah, I think good, good win for the Packers, uh, and, you know, in overtime and everything. The next one we had, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, actually beat the Denver Broncos at home 32 to 23 to get their first victory of the year. Uh, Wayne Pastor Gratz. I will, I will grasp this. Uh, you know, I, I think I might have alluded to in the, like the last pod. It was like, uh, they, the Raiders, they just need to get the ball to Josh Jacobs a little bit more. And, and they did. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's important for the Raiders is to have that balanced offense a little bit. Um, not to say like you know Derek Carr is a terrible quarterback, or whatever, but you know if, if he's passing like fifty times or forty times a game, like I, I don't think that that's winning football for them. I, I definitely think that having Josh Jacobs, you know, he's had he's having a good year overall. Um, you know, so it, it was like he, I think he was averaging like five yards per carry before this game and it's like well why 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 aren't they utilizing him a little bit more um so they they obviously did this game um so and you know with regards to i guess the uh the broncos a little bit on on their side of the ball um you know uh not terrible but obviously the turnovers kill it, it's so crazy melvin gordon he's like synonymous with fumbles he has like 25 career fumbles in eight seasons and like i i don't know like there's got to be somebody that just goes up to him and says, like, hey, man, like, just learn this one thing of, like, not fumbling the ball and you'll you'll be playing more because that's kind of how he got kicked out of the Chargers, right, initially. So, um, yeah, if uh, not the best game in terms of, you know, turnovers and all that from the Broncos' perspective, okay game, I guess, from Russell Wilson, kind of what we're expecting from him. Uh, you know, I know Sutton has some decent – uh, had a decent game and all there too, and, and Judy as well. So, uh, but yeah, Raiders run the ball, play good defense, make some plays here and there. I think that's usually the recipe for success for them. And hopefully, you know, they learn from this going forth of like, you know, this is kind of how we need to be playing, uh, you know, on the offensive side uh, a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, um, good for the Raiders, good for them to get their, you know, their first win of the year. Um, I don't know how much it, Change my opinion of them off the bat. Um, they have a big game from Jacobs, obviously, on paper. Um, so we'll see where the Raiders take it from here. I'm still pretty skeptical about their their outlook for the rest of the season as a as like a playoff contender. For Denver, this is the most amount of points they've scored all year, 23 points. I mean, you bring it over Russell Wilson. You've got Javante Williams, Gordon in the backfield. Um, even Mike Boone had a decent showing um, in, in his time you know, behind center. Um, you know, and you got Sutton, you got Judy, um, just, just two weapons that I think most people, you know, would love to have on their teams. Any quarterback would love to throw those guys. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It it just, you know, now that Javante Williams is out for the year, I mean, to go to Melvin Gordon, a recently signed Latavius Murray, who just played with the Saints last weekend, had a big score. It's like, Man, they're taking away one of their biggest strengths, which is that ground and pound. But it's going to put a lot of emphasis on Russ and those wide receivers to get things going. So, you know, we got to see what Nathaniel Hackett's made of at this point. I mean, he's he's getting criticized left and right uh, from the fantasy analyst community, and um, you know, just any of the NFL analysts I've watched. I mean, nobody's really behind this guy off the bat. So he's got a long way to go as a head coach in the NFL. Um, but 
yeah, this isn't very encouraging for Denver. It's a big loss, uh, especially in their division. But yeah, I mean, it, it's getting, you know, I don't know how the rest of the AFC is going to shape up, but like they're on the outside, uh, you know, looking in for, for any sort of play, uh, playoff spot at this point. Yeah, no, it, it's, and they're one of the hardest, I think, most competitive uh, divisions in, in the entire NFL. So, you know, I know the records don't show up, but you know, we've always said, like, this is probably like the most talented division, uh, at least one of the most talented divisions in all of the NFL. So, um, you know, any, any type of loss, like, you know, bad coaching or whatever is happening, like, that really needs to be corrected as soon as possible. Because uh, I feel like the teams are, are Unless injuries happen, for, you know, the injury bug catches on, you know, in this division, uh, then it's like, you know, they can't beat these teams, I think, with the way that they're currently playing, uh, especially on the offensive side. So definitely. Um, in our last game, Monday Night Football, the San Francisco 49ers beat the uh, Los Angeles Rams 24 to 9 at home. Uh, Wayne, pass or grass? Um, I think I'll, I'll grass this. Uh, Debo is like the, the MVP of that Niners offense, I feel like, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Garop- Garop- and this was like a different, this is, this sounded, this definitely seemed like a Garoppolo type of game, right? Like didn't do too much at the same time. Didn't like hurt you. Right. Like made the plays. Uh, I think he had like 200, like 220 some odd yards, a touchdown, um, you know, good uh, running from Jeffrey Wilson as well. Defense played solid. So, uh, obviously holding the Rams, like I think it was like, to, like 10 points or like under 10 points. So, you know, uh, definitely from the Rams perspective, it's like, uh, and I, I've, I kind of critiqued Matthew Stafford on this. Like, are there no other wide receivers? I feel like he just like looks at the same wide receiver. This, this was the same thing. I guess I noticed too, when he was with the lions, like when they had Calvin Johnson, it was like, he was just passing Calvin Johnson, like 180 times a year. Right. You know, and he's kind of doing the same thing with uh, Cooper Cup. So, you know, like, I, I don't know what it is. He, he just feels like he uh, can't look at another wide receiver. Uh, it feels like he's cheating on, like, his prime primary target. So I don't know what it is. But, um, yeah, it, not the best game, not the best start, I think, so far this season offensively for the Rams and Matthew Stafford. Um, they I think they need to get the run game going a little bit. You know, I know Cam Akers really didn't do too much. Uh, not, not, neither did like Devery Henderson as well. So, but I, I think they really need to open up that running game because if they want to be winning games, uh, you know, unless you know, uh, uh, or that, or Matthew Stafford looks at another wide receiver and decides to pass it to them. So, one of those things has to occur. Uh, Allen Robinson, not the best signing. I think you spoke about that before. Uh, you know, it definitely seems like Robert Woods would have been uh, the better person, Bobby Tree, right? So, um, but. Yeah, not the best uh, game for the Rams. Not the best start to the to the season so far. And man, the Niners—they just own. I think the Rams, right? I think this is, Shanahan just owns McVay. It seems like so. Um, you know, good win for the Niners uh, going forth uh, to to set themselves up for the rest of the season. Yeah, this is Niners football. It's kind of boring. It's kind of predictable, but they just you know shut them down defensively. Uh, you know, managed a good offense. I think Debo's like that, you know, secret weapon. He's kind of like a Swiss army knife in a lot of ways. And then, you know, like you were saying with Jeff Wilson, like just doing a good job at like, Hey, being the backup running back, but like being a veteran at that and knowing what he has to do to just, you know, get them a victory and keep them, you know, going forward. I mean, I, I kind of like the fact that I grabbed him when I did, you know, just even as a handcuff. Cause I'm like, this guy's 
capable of just having like steady games. Like he doesn't need to be like a superstar. He just needs to like do his thing and he's pretty good at it. So, I mean, good on the Niners for just taking care of business at home, but like both teams are two and two, but it's like, for me, I'm like so much more bullish on the Niners than I am the Rams. And you know, part of that is just like, you know, my own thoughts going into this season about both, both, you know, teams, but uh, yeah, the Rams just like, just seem like a shell of themselves as of last year. I mean, if, if Odell Beckham Jr. comes back and they can sign him, uh, they desperately need him. Uh, cause Allen Robinson looks done to me, like done. And, uh, it's too bad, man. I, he had a big drop. I feel like on a game recently we were watching on a Sunday night, it was like, I think they tried to feed him twice in the end zone. He had like one really blatantly bad drop and then, you know, their ball that maybe was like a little bit behind him or something, but it's like still catchable. It's like, I don't know what happened to the guy. I mean, hopefully he's not hurt or something, but, uh, you know, could say the same too about Matthew Stafford. Like, hope he's not hurt. Uh, you know, we kind of had rumors that he had arm trouble going into the years. So like, don't know if he's playing through any sort of pain, but like, this has just been, you know, pretty bad. And, uh, you know, Higby had a game, I think, you know, Cooper Cup's obviously like the guy they're going to feed, you know, day in, day out. Um, I know Higby had 10 receptions, so that was nice to see. But uh, yeah, man, I, I just see it. I see this as a team that just won the Super Bowl. Um, you know, they, 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 they ate, they were, they're stuffed. They, you know, they, they don't have any room for dessert. So they're just like, all right, like, <laughs> I'm going to go to bed. But uh, maybe they're just going to bed for this season. They'll come back and, uh, 2020 uh you know for a little bit more uh focus i guess yeah i i, I yeah at Allen robinson like he's what like, I, I think he's been targeted it was like 18 times so far this season nine receptions um so 50 percent catch uh right there which isn't good for you know somebody that i guess is like you know that you got rid of robert woods <laughs> and you signed this person as in like i think it was like three years 40 million dollars or something like that so it's like not the best uh, deal here. Uh, you know, hopefully they do for the Rams' sake, I guess. Uh, uh, Matthew Stafford and Al Robinson like develop some sort of chemistry, but right now they just don't have any of it. And yeah, it it is hurting the team. Uh, you know, I, I do recall those end zone uh, where yeah, Stafford did, did go to Al Robinson in the end zone for a couple of times, and it's like great, uh, but you know he only has one touchdown to show for it. Um, and yeah, I think that's all I've got to say about that. And and if I'm a Niners person too, it's like you know they're they're not really utilizing Kittle as much. He's not Kittle isn't having the best season, so there is like room for growth. I think offensively for them is you know getting Kittle more involved in the passing game. Um, so you know I, if I'm if I'm the Niners, uh, I, I I'm actually okay with my position right now at least uh, compared to you know the Rams. So yeah, gotcha. Well, that wraps up uh, week four. Um, our reactions, all the games that happened. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, in this upcoming week for the NFL. But uh, Wayne, did you have any other thoughts on football or, or you know, anything else in general? Um, you know, it is fall, and with fall uh, comes pie season. I feel like so. <laughs> you know, curious now, Pat. What what is your favorite pie for fall? For fall, I'm glad you made that. Uh, distinction because I, I love pie. Uh, I absolutely love pie. Um, upstairs, I actually have my favorite pie and uh, had a couple slices uh, over this past weekend with, you know, the weather changing. We bought some apple cider too, heated that up and just getting all into it, man. Watching Hocus Pocus 2 upstairs, my wife, you know, just quality Friday night staying in. But uh, anyways, it's pecan pie. 
I, I, I absolutely love it, man. It, uh, yeah, I love heating it up and like dropping some, some ice cream over the top, some caramel, whatever else I can eat it straight too. But, uh, you love me some, some pecan or, or pecan pie, wherever you're from regionally. But, uh, Wayne, how about you? I'm kicking that one right back. Yeah. I love a good, uh, no, I love pecan pie too. That's, <laughs> that's, I, it's one of those, like, I don't rank it, but whatever, whatever, I don't think I've had like a bad pecan pie or whatever. So, um, but my personal favorite uh, pie um, that I've ever had is like a, like a crumbled Dutch apple pie is what I like. Um, Solid. Yeah. Yeah. A la moda as well. So that, that's, that for me, especially in the fall, like that just screams like, all right, bring on that weather, bring on the sweaters, bring on the hoodies, uh, you know, bring on the sweatpants, you know, let's, let's get to it. So, um, but yeah, Dutch apple pie with a little bit of crumble on top for sure. Awesome, man. Yeah, I do have another pie, but it's definitely not a fall pie, but it's probably my favorite pie. Um, I don't know if I want to do trivia right now with you or just put it out there. <laughs> put it out. What's up? What are you, what are you holding back? What are you, what are you... Dude, yeah. key, key lime pie. Like key, key lime, lime pie. Lime. Oh, my God, dude. Like a original graham cracker crust. Like I went to Key West uh, last year and uh went for a wedding uh for some good friends out here but uh man like key lime pie i think we had like a couple rounds of it uh, in different forms there's even like key lime key lime pie wrapped in like you know kind of like a dilly bar from dq just like dunked in chocolate but had like key lime as the base i was like oh my god this is great but uh i don't know what it is man it's it's definitely the graham cracker crust but uh i think that lime just gives it like a nice like sharp tang it's pretty good Man, yeah, no, I love a good key lime pie. I don't think I've ever made a key lime pie. I feel like almost intimidated to make a key lime pie. I feel like that's one of those like, I have to do some scientific research to figure out how to make a good one. Uh, whereas apple, like I've made apple, it's all right. Like it's not that hard. So you just yeah, there. yeah. I think the hard part is like, where do you get the key limes? Like if you're not based in Florida, like can you go to the grocery store and get key limes? Like I'm just not. I'm not too sure. Probably. I mean, I feel like you can get go to the grocery store in America these days, but I feel like, yeah, it's probably going to cost like, you know, $20 or something like that. To get, you know, get yeah. Some key lime. Yeah. Every, yeah. Everything costs $20 these days. So yeah. Yeah. I think it'd probably be like in a jar or something like that, or I don't know, like a can is what I'm assuming. Yeah. No doubt. But uh, like speaking of lime, actually, um, it's going to come from my final point, but I, uh, I made some dip over the weekend. It was like a corned beef or sorry. I don't want to say corned beef. Cause that's, that's, that's disgusting. Uh, it was a corned bean, like feta uh, salsa that I like to make a lot with uh, some apple cider vinegar, some olive oil. And then I usually cut up like some, uh, some scallions in it and just kind of mix it up. Six ingredients, very simple, but I, I've been testing it out with different chips and I actually got the uh, hint of lime Tostitos. Mm, and I was yeah. like, you had those before? Yeah. You it's good. Thumbs yeah. up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I was eating those things, man. I'm not kidding you. I was eating those chips. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, why does this taste exactly like Trick's lime cereal? <laughs> like the actual limes that you have in the Trick cereal. I was like, I'm eating Tricks right now by eating this stuff. So like I was sitting there and obviously like I'm thinking about our podcast and stuff because I'm having like a, like a cracking up to myself while eating this stuff. And I'm looking at organizational charts. I was like trying to figure out, okay, Tostitos is tied to PepsiCo. So I'm like, where, like who makes trick cereal? Is it, is it Quaker? Is it Post? Is it General Mills? And like, I think the ultimate answer was it was 
It was General Mills cereal, and Quaker is tied to PepsiCo, and General Mills is like on its own separate wavelength. So I'm like, was there some sort of like license deal with like the the tricks lime cereal and these you know, like whatever they lather these uh, Tostitos in for the lime? It was like because this thing tastes exactly ser- like similar. And uh, I'll say one thing: like number one, look at the org charts in the United States for every single food product you could think of and like there are literally like 10 conglomerates that own every fucking thing you could possibly think of. <laughs> number one number two is when i made this whole search and i was going down a stupid rabbit hole by myself um i actually found a tweet from somebody in the twitter uh verse that was basically like hey please I mean, a lot of tostitos taste just like trick cereal and i seriously lost it i lost my mind just like just laughing about Tostitos and tricks like the entire day. Cause there was somebody else in this universe that actually pointed to it as well. But uh, you I'm, feel validated. You feel validated. <laughs> you feel heard. I feel like, yes, I, I, I definitely feel heard. Uh, Wayne, you got to go try both of these options, both the chips and the cereal. I don't know. There might have to be some sort of ball and breakfast taste test, but um, it brought me to my next question, which was why I was in kick you before we started talking about pie. Wayne, what is your favorite cereal? What is your favorite bag of chips? That is no pressure. No pressure. Uh, yeah. So cereal. Wow. I feel like I've had different moments in my life where I like or appreciated certain types of cereal. Um, the most sentimental cereal I've had um, is, uh, I, w- I would say... Captain Crunch. Uh, okay, yeah, the, that's, uh, that's solid. Yeah, yeah, the peanut butter. Uh, I will say though, uh, the most interesting like like treat, like a Rice Krispie treat, is actually uh, instead of Rice Krispies, uh, utilizing the berries uh, for the Captain Crunch berries and make you know putting some marshmallows in them and making them look a little snack. Oh man, like that, that is really good. That is phenomenal. So. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, I would say Captain Crunch, um, and uh, yeah, I think the one I've eaten the most though is like, uh, what is it? Um, Honey Nut Cheerios, actually, because I actually I was a fat kid growing up and I had a high cholesterol, <laughs> so uh, I, I utilized those Honey Nut Cheerios and lowered my cholesterol. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, chips oh man uh i am i'm a, I'm a little bit weird in this sense but uh i don't know if it's bougie or, or you know maybe a little bit white girly but i love sun chips actually like the okay the, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no I'm, I'm i'm cool with that i yeah go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off that was rude. yeah yeah no it's like the cheddar the yeah the, the mm. sun chips uh yeah there's the, the cheddar i like that I, I can eat those things um all day the harvest cheddar um you know just give me like a, a full-on bag and everything and i'll i'll obliterate those things so yeah um we, yeah. we grab the garden salsa ones from costco every once in a while and i swear that bag goes in like three days but yeah definitely a very craveable snack yeah, yeah yeah i think that uh the harvest cheddar is usually my favorite i have i have had that one before too so, i mean they're all like really great for me but i feel like i always gravitate towards the harvest cheddar um, it's like my vices are that and uh, my love for Sour Patch Kids, too. Like when I have <laughs> all those, uh, my life is all good. I feel like, you know, <laughs> I got you, man. No, that, that sounds pretty good. Um, 
Yeah, man. I was going to throw out like sweet chili Doritos for me. I, I, I've bought bags before and like locked my, like when I used to live with people, I'd like lock the door because I would just like eat the entire bag and didn't want to get judged. Uh, but man, sweet chili Doritos, so addictive. I'll even throw a shout out for, uh, I've really been getting into like dill pickle flavored potato chips. And I just think mm. like the ones that are like crunchier, like if they're like in a, like a more crunchy kettle style potato chip with dill on it, it's like, man, it is so good. And uh, on cereals, got to give a shout out. Um, you know, I think just all, all time, like craveability, I think like Simmons Toast Crunch just, just always had that for me. But uh, set, when you brought up sentiment and like the things that you thought about, like your favorite kind as a kid like apple cinnamon cheerios to me was like my go-to for for the cinnamon not only just they were always at the house they're always at the house but like i don't know it was just that style of cheerio to me just like always hit it the right way but uh that's my piece on chips and cereal yeah it's like home right (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know man like (laughs) i might have to go buy a box of apple cinnamon cheerios now just like yeah (laughs) get nostalgic uh over this next weekend coming up yeah i'm gonna eat like a 10 year old i feel like yeah this coming week so yeah gonna get some uh sour patch kids i mean i normally do that anyway so <laughs> sour patch kids some uh some chips and everything and yeah that'll be my breakfast you know in the mornings so yeah and then the cereal too and get some captain crunch uh as well so yeah all good uh, man i don't know we might have to just make one big episode or just 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 seriously all our favorites are lined up and we just yeah. i don't know just cheers to each single one of them yeah yeah let's yeah uh, we'll definitely have to do that i feel like you know get the breakfast involved here you know so yeah sounds good <laughs> well that's uh that's about a wrap here for the ball and breakfast podcast uh thanks for listening to us uh you can find us again on youtube uh, comment, uh, you know, definitely subscribe, like anything you're seeing. Uh, we're on Instagram as well, uh, building a pretty nice following so far in only half a year's time. Uh, seriously, keep following us and and share with us any sort of, uh, you know, content you'd like to see here. But, uh, you know, with that, we're on uh, Apple, Spotify, Anchor as well, uh, Google Podcasts, wherever we are, check us out, interact with us, and we'd be happy to, to kick it back with you. But, uh, We're signing off here uh, with Wayne. I'm Patrick for the Wall and Breakfast Podcast. Thanks, Sal.